gentlemen's jobs, sir. I guess you're through, huh? Finished. Welcome, 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 welcome to the podcast that does, I think, what it says in the tin. It's best film ever. My name's Ian. And I'm Carlo. Hey, what? <laughs> <laughs> that is right. We've got Ian and Carlo here for your listening enjoyment over the next, well, you've seen the runtime. You know better than we do at this point. Dramatic irony is what we say in English. Um, yeah, we, for however long we're going to do this, uh, I got Carlo on board here for a little, for a little a full review here on episode number, checks notes, 128, Blade Runner. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping we both watch Blade Runner anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping you, you watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Have I ever told you a story about how I went on someone else's pod and prepared for the wrong movie? I thought I'd agree to do Oh, yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> and it wasn't until about 10 minutes before I went, oh, I've watched the wrong movie. And I just thought to myself, quick, what sort of things can I do in order to rescue myself? And it worked out okay. It worked out okay. But yeah, in, in the immediate of the, of the moment, I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? I'm not going to have anything ready. But that was not the case today. That was not the case today. I did watch Blade Runner, not the 2049. I watched the, well, original might be misleading, but I watched a version of the original today. I actually went back and looked at some stuff from the original original, just to cross-reference, actually. And we'll talk a little bit more about that going forward. And let's just uh, address the lack of elephants in the room. Today, it's that uh, (laughs) everybody's got something going on. Um, Georgia did let me know in time. Tons of a notice that she had a work thing. They do a lot of weekend work. The weather's getting nice. Like it's a training thing. So um, she's uh, was unable. I really would, would like to have heard her take on this film, actually. Uh, but she was unable to do it. Liam was supposed to be going to Paris. But then with everything that's going on, we have travel here in the UK. I don't know if internationals might not know this, but it's been a disaster with international air, air flight, air travel. So as a result, he's gone to Brighton. Which is it's it's nice, but it's it's definitely not Paris. Um, I mean, a bit of a step down. I don't think Brighton's one of the great cities in the world, and I mean, no offense to anybody from Brighton. <laughs> and then Ethan, who said I have a barbecue, so I can't make it, and then I went okay, and they went oh, actually the barbecue got canceled. It's okay, I'll be here next week. And I went oh okay, and then it's oh let me let let me check with you to let you know what's going on. And then I got a hold of him, and he went oh I've just been messaged. The barbecue's back on. You've just been messaged. I've just been messaged. So I've raised a spocky <laughs> an eyebrow at that. And this is where Hermes and everyone's like, you're too hard on Ethan. You have no idea the ulcer that boy gives me. No idea. So if it comes across as amicable tussles, Carlo, I'm doing oh, yeah. a good job here. <laughs> but like I told you, I, I enjoy those. Yeah. I hope everybody's having a great time, no matter whether if they're at Brighton or work or a barbecue. I hope they're having a good yeah. time because we're going to have a good time here, Carlo, talking about some oh, yeah. Blade Runner. 
uh, I'm going to be filling three pair of shoes, so I hope I, I can do a good job. Well, two in Ethan's, so I don't know, two and a half. Uh, <laughs> Um, why don't you go ahead and start by because because uh, you, you've been kind enough to have myself, you've been kind of have Ethan on on your show. Why don't you just plug a little bit right off the top in case someone's like, "Who is this Carlo guy?" I mean, how do you listen to BFE and not know who Carlo is? First of all, but in case someone's stumbling upon this is episode one, they're going, "What do you mean you got a guest host, Carlo?" Tell them what you do on your pod. Ah, uh, yeah, um, I'm the host of the Movie Loot. I've been uh, uh, I've been having this podcast for a little over two years. Um, uh, Ian has been on, as he said, and Ethan has been on as well. And uh, the podcast is just just me talking about movies, uh, the, the what I call the loot of movies that I watch every month, or a uh, certain loot of films about uh, uh, certain topics. Uh, for example, uh, last month we did, uh, what did we do last month? Uh, nostalgia movies, we did Star Wars movies, and that kind of thing. Uh, it, it's it's been a blast and it's been a blast having ian and it's been a blast to have uh ethan as well yeah yeah i, I, I really enjoy them i really really enjoy them and obviously obviously when ethan was on there i gave it a special listen people think i mean people think the beef is real the beef's not real i went ahead and listened and saw kind of how out of control you let him go on the star wars <laughs> thing how much how, how pretentious did you let and he went full out like the longest longest episode oh was yeah. it really after yours <laughs> yes Wait. yours was is, is mine the longest one? <laughs> I th- I think yours was the second. Uh, now the second longest one. Oh, so <laughs> yeah, Ethan was long. It was more long. With see, you got to keep some governors on that kid. He will just talk. <laughs> I mean, I, I say this with every awareness of the irony that I'm saying. That kid loves the sound of his voice. That's all I'm going to say there. <laughs> and I'm fully aware, folks. I'm fully uh, aware. I I kind of let let him loose. So so I, I knew <laughs> I knew he wanted to to talk, and I, and I really enjoy. It enjoy it to listen to him talk as did i uh, all, all things all things considered i mean he, he has a lot of knowledge of star wars and, and i i really enjoy listening to him talk it's really great listening to people talk about things they're passionate and knowledgeable about exactly and that should be more prevalent in the podcasting community it's really not <laughs> so 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 <laughs> yeah. it's, it's great when, when that cross-section so, sort of happens and uh, speaking about great things that happen, it's a shame none of my none of my usual companions are here with me because I got to mention this. We had our best week in the history of the pod last week, which if you think oh, yeah. we've been doing this for like two and two and a bit years now, I mean that's not a small number when it looks about you know what what that means. And You're going up always. I, I I I guess so. I mean every six weeks or eight weeks or ten weeks, <laughs> it come on here and go, hey, we, we've we've done it again, and it is remarkable. So anybody out there, if you've been listening since day one, or if you've been listening, if this is your day one, thank you very much please 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 keep on listening keep on engaging it keeps Definitely. us motivated loving the things that we do liam said we he thought we had three listeners we'd go for about five episodes and here we are now on episode 128 having just passed one of those big milestone sort of numbers it's um as far as downloads, Woo. it's been it's been it's been fantastic this week. So thank you very much. Yeah. Um, charting specifically in oh, I got to do this. Uh, we charted this week in South Korea, in Netherlands. Yeah, Netherlands. Why not in De- the in the Denmark? We were number forty six in New Zealand, in Switzerland, in India, in Egypt, number thirty in Ghana, number fifty oh, in yeah. Qatar, number six. Thanks for leaving the light on in Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone. Number thirty seven here at home in the UK, and then. I got to draw specific attention to two two markets, not new markets, two markets. One of whom would be Australia. Good day. Thank you very much. Uh, We've got Carlo doing all of Liam's bits. I've got him auditioning for Liam's seat. (laughs) 
too many days <laughs> off do lately. My, my what, best Liam impression. What yeah. could we do here? Did you fall asleep during the movie? Because that would have been a good step. <laughs> <laughs> I, I fell asleep watching Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, there you go. In the cinemas, I, I'm as bad as he is. Like we really are just trying to stay awake in Act Two of most movies. But in Australia, uh, we had just a massive, massive amount of downloads that was almost threatening America by its very nature, due to the size of the market, ends up being our biggest number of downloads each month. Australia is like right there. I don't know what happened. It kept going up, and it was always Australia. So to whoever's finding us over in New South Wales, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for telling your friends because it could have been one person or three people with that. Even if you download the whole catalog with the numbers we got, that must have been a few people telling each other. So thank you. And the other ones for Canada. Canada. Thank you. Uh, and and. There's a part of Canada I'm from, and it's the biggest, most populated part of the nation. So if we got a huge amount of downloads there, I'd go, yeah, it makes sense. New Brunswick, which is Atlantic Canada, one of the uh, smallest populated provinces, went off the charts as... uh as I suppose people, well, I suppose we have charts that go off the charts, but it, it raised <laughs> us in the charts. So a massive, massive thank you to people in regions old and new. Thank you for what you do. This pod's for you. All right. Oh, yeah. So uh, promos. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm being totally honest. I joked last week we were going to have a terrible week of downloads because we were doing Bonnie and Clyde. And, I didn't, and Bonnie and Clyde is an individual film didn't set the house on fire it didn't it was it's very niche liam's picks are niche but liam's picks i think give us credibility it did okay it did okay uh it it, it wasn't our lowest of 2022 it might have been second lowest but it wasn't our lowest of 2022 (laughs) for a first week number and i appreciate at the very least i can have access to that conversation now where people start talking about bonnie and clyde i can go yeah i I know what to speak uh about that carlo you've seen bonnie and clyde before hadn't you yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I think I, th- I saw it for the first time last year, actually. Yeah, uh, it. I, I wasn't. I think I, I, I actually listened to your episode. I haven't finished it, but um, I, I wasn't a huge fan because I know this film has a lot of big, big fans that say, "No, oh, this is five stars." Um, but I like, I, I like it a lot. Um, I, I might have had some issues with editing, maybe. Um, yeah. But but overall, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean Roger Ebert himself. You know, I'm usually a kindred spirit. Called it, called it the first masterpiece he ever saw on the job. And I'm like, oh, ooh, masterpiece. <laughs> what were you looking? And maybe it was a time of change. And maybe that's what that represents is, is a time of change and it's exciting and new things are yeah. happening in cinema. Looking yeah. back at it rather than looking at it with with new eyes, I just kind of went story wise. There's 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 just a whole lot of. Uh, of beats that get missed or cohesion or things you could have done. But uh, the, now that we've done that, if you want to listen to us, go like on that detail for about two and a half hours. It's there. <laughs> also, uh, Ethan and I put a bow on show me one Kenobi this week. So thank you very much. If you're checking that out, if you haven't go check, we've done one for each episode. There's six. It's not that bad. Uh, so, uh, and that's probably a good way to refer to Obi-Wan Kenobi as the whole. It wasn't that bad. Um, uh, <laughs> As always, big thanks to our Patreon backers. I'm talking about Reverend Bruce, Julene, oh, yeah. Hermes, Lena Oberholzer, Ooh. Katie McRae, yeah. Ensign Ian Davies for making it so, Chris Peterson, Randall Silva, oh, yeah. Dwayne Smith. Dwayne Smith. There we are. Uh, the Yeetmeister. Yeet. Nate the Great. And, of course, Cheesy. 
with a fish on a bike. This guy knows his stuff. Came to play. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, next week, we begin Thunderstruck. Thunderstruck, which is our Thor-based. It might be a week. It might be a fortnight, but we're going to bring you a whole bunch of Thor content. More Thor uh, over the next uh, couple of weeks at that point. Starting next week, the week from today, we'll just go ahead and get it early. We're going to drop uh, Thor Ragnarok. It's already in the can. It's already ready for me to go ahead and hit upload. So uh, check that one out. Uh, that was a long recording day last week so thanks to my maybe that's why they're all there's not why they're all off today they're all off today because uh, uh for for legitimate you're reasons them, finger quotes them too. i'm the one who can't make next week so bless them there are the we got them in the, in, in the can um and our bruce willis real roundtables recording july 10th if you don't have your top five bruce willis films in get them in in order hashtag bfe top five carlo do you have yours in oh yes oh excellent uh, looking forward to that yeah yeah, yeah, it's one of those things we had an idea for, and then all these things popped up and got in the way, and we went, oh, we can push that a week or two weeks or a month if need be. So let's do some reflections and corrections. Uh, we'll start with Julene, uh, who Julie. said, oh, Julie, 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 Julie. <laughs> who said we, uh, she was weak uh, as a result of all our whiskey, milk, and cow puns last week. <laughs> and I've said, if you listen up, Julene, you might hear some utter ones this week that's some utter ones this week all right uh hermes we were talking about police jurisdiction a little bit and i was trying to explain the difference in uh the american political uh actual the structure of government state versus federal uh, which is what you come to the bfe for you're like tell me the intricacies of how inter intra intra national governments works and uh, hermes jumped in to try and help me out and uh, i'm hoping george will listen to this and he says regarding police jurisdiction imagine a scenario where the police are corrupt or chasing innocent people south versus north or simply upholding a regional law whereas a neighboring state doesn't recognize the infraction states disagree but all agree in individual statehood so there you go from hermes yeah Hermes is a smart guy. So. He is a smart guy. Yeah. Uh, Andy Dixon says, couldn't find Bonnie and Clyde on Netflix or Prime. Yeah, yeah, I, I paid money to watch that. Uh, but enjoyed your account of the film. Felt for Liam as his childhood nostalgia for the film went out the window and has grown up 2022 eyes. One thing I have now been looking up, though, is the actual history of Bonnie and Clyde, and Liam would be psyched to hear that. So thanks a lot, Andy. A little bit more from Hermes, who goes, sorry, Ian, even though Ethan may turn on me one day, I will never reverse my position of support. And then he got a hold of me like a day later about obi-wan kenobi and said ethan it's still okay to agree with ian there are serious issues with this series and still love the characters universe just the same <laughs> hashtag ian is always right acknowledge me that's right uh because frankly this has been only six episodes of disappointment and there is no real defense so there we go hermes tell me how you really feel about obi-wan kenobi you can hear how we really feel on show me one kenobi available wherever you got this pod just scroll back about two entries and give it a download uh general shout outs help me out again please uh carlo for our poet laureate Dwayne smith Great smooth. Who says, just watch Kings Kids in the Hall, having never seen or heard of it before. Watch a lot of odd comedy shows, and this is up there. It's strange to me the sketches are so long, only four in the whole half-hour show. I really love the Blue Break Pie sketch. Having listened to the second half of the pod, I'm pretty much with you. I found it odd rather than funny and totally recoiled at the nude scene. I thought the Blue Break Pie sketch was clever, but the rest, hmm, will I watch more? Mm, I guess it's unlikely. Uh, you ever heard of Kids in the Hall, Carla? No, I, I think I might have. Uh, heard it in passing but uh when i heard you mention it i i 
got maybe curious to maybe check it out. Okay, I look forward to if that happens, I'll look forward to getting your your take on it. I don't know. I don't know if we want to see old guys being fun. I don't know what it is. Is it some sort of ageist thing? I don't know. Not that that's why anybody who doesn't like it, I'm not going, it's because you're ageist. I'm going, I really sat there myself and went, are they still funny? Does this is this something I still want to see? Do we still then I stayed up half a night watching George Carlin, so I'm like, old guys can totally oh. be funny because George Carlin's <laughs> yeah, amazing. No, you definitely loved your loved your Scarlet. Uh, big shout outs to Danny and Drew from It's a Musical for the Love. So Wizard for the Love in film we trust for the love. Those guys are I know what you're doing with the Twitter stuff, guys. I know what you do when you tag us all and you ask us a question and then you comment on each one of our responses. I know. As a guy who's doing the grind myself, I see what you're doing. They're, they're doing a good job. I'm yeah. contributing to the conversation because I respect the hustle. That's what's occurring there. But I just want you to know that I know. And now you know that I know. And now Carlo knows that I know that you know that I know. There we go. So with that in mind, what else do we have here? Uh, Hermes won GIF of the Week with a Hasselhoff celebratory GIF. Chris Peterson, you never contribute to GIF of the Week, Carlo. Why is that? Why is that? What no, is I, it? I contribute. Oh, I, I, uh, yeah, yeah, from time to time. Not always, but oh, okay. it's usually that that I'm I I'm, I'm a lot of the latest episodes I've been catching up like oh. a week or two later, and and, and uh, I think you know they've already awarded the gift of the week so (laughs) the good news is you'll have two weeks to get your pick in for this one because obviously we've recorded next week so whatever comes the week after that we'll be looking at this one so you have two weeks to get your gift of the weekend you've heard it here folks he's gonna get a gift in he's got no excuse (laughs) this time Uh, i have an advantage this 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 week you do you do have an advantage you actually (laughs) you've got a mega advantage jeez uh what do we got here so gift of the week was uh, the the word was mattress we had a lot of uh, a lot of contributions we had nate doing a south park gif of kyle's dad uh hermes who did bouncing mr bean in the bed we had russell osborne uh from golden girls sophia calling blanche a 50 year old mattress that made me chuckle josh your next favorite movie with i think something from everybody loves raymond it was so quick i couldn't i even paused it i'm like i don't know what i'm watching here uh andy dixon with a baby goat on a mattress very cute chris peterson with an oddly sexual pair of mattresses on the roof of the car and Hermes said he almost chose that one himself my bronze medal this week would go to what i thought was going to win which is russell osborne with sophia cohen blanche a 50 year old mattress and that first came across i went ain't nothing beating that and then my silver medal is going to go to andy dixon with the baby goat on the mattress i just want to see more baby goats that's just a great time but my gold medal Hermes, you said you almost picked it you should have this weird oddly sexual picture of two mattresses in transit uh on the roof of someone's car gold medal gift of the week well done chris peterson that's like the third straight week the person who's complained it was fixed one and i want you to know i'm not doing squeaky wheel gets the grease sort of stuff if anything it prejudices me more against your pick but they're strong so you have to respect the game and who gets the win so this week it's chris peterson well done Hooray for Chris. Hooray for Chris. Um, If you want to give us a review and you want to say hooray for the BFE, we would love that. Spotify or Apple Podcast, it really does help with the algorithms and pushing us towards a new audience. You got no idea. So if you wanted to do so, I hear five is a magic number. Five is a magic number. (laughs) All right. Let's talk. Liam, you're out, Liam. You're You're out, out. Liam. It's over. (laughs) 
<laughs> no one will even notice. No one will notice. <laughs> it's I don't a, know if that's a compliment. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's an audio format. No one's gonna know. <laughs> um, what do we got here, Kyle? Let's talk about the film itself. Imagine that. So, um, Blade Runner. Uh, 1962 science fiction film is an adaptation of Philip K. Dick's 1968 novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? What a name. The film is set in dystopian future Los Angeles, I'll reveal the year just shortly, in which synthetic humans known as replicants are bioengineered by the powerful Terrell Corporation to work on space colonies. When a fugitive group of advanced replicants led by Roy Batty escape back to Earth, burnt-out cop Rick Deckard reluctantly agrees to hunt them down. And why are we doing this? It's the 40-year anniversary yeah. of Blade Runner. Nobody loves a, a good old anniversary like the BFE love an anniversary. Everything is planned. Yeah, it's not because I'm looking to maximize the Twitter game myself. Chase. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I don't know. <sighs> What was because this is this is one of those films. It's a shame that we do have this empty table. When I brought, when I was looking at who I wanted to bring on, I definitely wanted to bring on someone who had an aura of legitimacy uh, about them. Oh because my God. this, cause, well, because this is this is cinema. You know what I mean? Like this isn't it's not the forty year anniversary of you know Harry and the Hendersons or something like this. Like this is <laughs> this is cinema. And so I wanted to reach out to, to yourself because I think. Um, I think you you speak to a credible level of of, of film coverage. Uh, I even think sometimes within within the BFE we we sometimes lean a little too commercial at times. Um, but this sort of ticks both boxes. But I wanted to have a voice joining me who who had been familiar with it, uh, who definitely would have seen it before, and would have something would be able to bat the ball back with me if I want to talk about um if I want to talk about symbolism or if I want to talk yeah. about more sort of less less plot centric less less obvious and more subtextual details so I'm thrilled that you're here uh because we we got some heavy lifting to do it's just the two of us right now Ethan no, no, sent, definitely. Ethan sent me like now. three pages of notes and I'm like dude I'm not reading three pages I said I will have to cut this down and he went to his credit he went he went I, t- I totally get it I'm like great so Ethan <laughs> we'll have a number that he will share at the end but uh really as far as the live experience folks it's two people we're gonna do our best carla when was the first time you saw any version of blade runner well i, I don't remember exactly the, the, the exact day but it had to be probably late 90s or early early 2000s um and i'm pretty sure that the first version i saw was a director's cut um, I don't think I saw the, the theatrical cut. I think I saw bits and pieces of the theatrical cut, and and maybe we'll get into it um, later. But there are significant differences between the theatrical cut and the director's cut. Um, but I think it was the director's cut. I, I, at that point, I was really getting deeper into, into movies, and I think I usually try to okay this is the director scott there there was like a trend in the late 90s and that time to to release director scott um yeah. james cameron did it with aliens um i think he did it with terminator uh 2 as well um and and i think i i went for that one specifically because i wanted to see like the the, the pure version of the film um and i think it was it was around that time and i've seen it a, a bunch of time afterwards i i liked it since the beginning but every time i see it i ended up i mean i don't want to bury the lead but i end, i end up appreciating <laughs> it more every time 
I will say this when I when I got a hold of Carlo and asked him to to see if he'd come on, I didn't tell him the film at first. I just kind of said, "Hey, are you free this day? I need somebody." And they said, "Which film are we getting around to? Which film are we doing anyway?" And I sent him a gif of this of this film, and it was a very enthusiastic response on your point. Again, not to not to bury the lead, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, I remember this is probably literally the second time I've seen this film and it wasn't because it made oh, yeah. a, necessarily made, made a bad impression on me. It was just one that I never went back to revisit for whatever reason. I think it's only the second time I've seen the film. I remember I was in this re- first day of Canadian high school, first day of Canadian high school, second semester. Sorry. So I'm still what we call grade nine. Uh, you'd call freshman. Oh, do you call it a freshman in Puerto Rico? Is it the same? Um, no, uh, we, we don't use those terms. I mean, we use senior for, for okay. whenever, um, you're about to graduate. Uh, but no, no, we just say you're, we're, we're, um, in 11th or in, or in 10th grade. So, uh, so is your, is your high school four years? No, three years. Oh, really? Three years? Some, wow. Yeah, yeah. Some schools are adapting to, you know, the U.S. system, and they're using like four years, but there are some. But most most um, um, high schools are just three, okay. three, three years. So I'm in grade nine, which means you are yeah. about 13, 14. You are yeah. the smallest ones. I'd gone through one semester, and we just switched and went to semester two. So we were probably feeling a little more confident than we were on semester one. And I went into this room because it said history on my timetable. And I was moderately interested in history. I think you only had so many options by which you could fill your timetable. And I, I had a class with, with, with my friend Miguel. And I was like, hey, giddy up. We'll have a, didn't have a class in all year. And I was like, cool. We're going to have a class here. I'll be all right. And we walked into class, and we sat down, and um, the teacher came in. And uh, he went, this is not history. And so me and my buddy go out up and we go to leave. We go, where are you, go, where are you guys going? I said, well, we're obviously in the wrong class. And he said, what does your timetable say? He says, it's history. He says, sit down. I said, but you just said it wasn't history. I know that we're in the wrong place. No, you're in the right place, but it's not history. That's right. And I was like, okay. And he said, if this isn't history, what is this? And he went, sociology. And I said, well, I didn't sign up for sociology. He said, yeah, but what, we're, what was on your title was history. We're doing sociology. So basically, this guy unilaterally made a decision that he was not going to teach history, whether they were forcing him to teach history. And he was like, I ain't doing it. Because I think he was just like a PE teacher for the most part. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so we ended up not doing that. We did sociology, which basically meant, I mean, I have no idea to this day what we were learning in that course. It was just stuff he wanted to talk about, I think. He just wanted to sort of have these long lectures about what but oh i remember at one time he rolled in the tv the old crt tv that was strapped down <laughs> yeah. kids today have no idea what that experience no, no. is like and the <laughs> door opens and- the door opens and the tv comes in and we're like whoa and we watched as 14 year olds we watched blade runner which uh strikes me now in hindsight especially someone who now is that as a gig of uh of a questionable decision on his part but i watched it and it stayed with me it stayed with me and i know i watched the original cut because i know certain elements and certain scenes stayed with me even from that one viewing and so it was something that i was looking forward to revisiting here uh but it was just nothing that i've had felt the urge to go back and rewatch, just because i think sometimes you go i've seen that story and i I think certain movies you can only watch once for the first time and then i wondered what i would get out of it the second time and that's an interesting conversation to have as we go through so yeah yeah no definitely i agree directed by ridley scott who if you don't know also did gladiator alien thelma and louise 
uh, House of Gucci most recently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a film I really wanted to see and just couldn't, couldn't get around to it. I really wanted this. I bought into the yacht. Well, the supposed Oscar buzz that then it got like one nomination. But yeah. yeah, he had an active year because he did that and he did uh, The Last Duel, I think uh, it's called, the same year. And people were raving about him because, I mean, he's, I think he's 82 uh, and he just directed two films in the same year. Jeez, so. yeah. Good on him. Good on him. Yeah. People don't talk about about Ridley Scott enough. Uh, when we talk about the great directors, his name gets. I th- I think his name gets left off those conversations. It's it's because I think that his filmography is a bit spotty. Uh, he 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 started with a bang with with I mean Alien. I I think Alien was his second film, um, and, and then he hit Blade Runner, which was also were well received. But he had a he had a bit of a spotty resume in the 80s a lot of films that i haven't necessarily haven't seen yeah uh, but he did a couple of shaky ones and and uh then he came back kind of came back with Thelma lewis and then gladiator in the 2000s and he's been like up and down he, he he's had uh, some some hits some misses and i think that's why maybe his filmography is also not very prolific in the sense that like he has he just hasn't put out a, a a huge amount of films either so if you take that sort of you know he's shooting about 50 percent, and you add it with a guy who just didn't do that many projects it's just going all right i also think he's the poor man's james cameron which is kind of funny if you consider cameron does 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 aliens doesn't he um am i right on that i think i'm right on that i've, no, I've, I've never seen any of the films um but any which one i haven't seen any of the alien franchise are you kidding no i got about 25 minutes into the first one respected the slow burn but went i gotta come back to this i'm just i'm just not in that space oh, today man, to no, watch no, i know i actually had a student gift me the adrian quadrology as like a leaving oh, yeah. gift and i was like yeah. i'm definitely around the watching these and i still need to make good on that promise because i have not yet <laughs> i mean look, look forward to you maybe at some point happens. maybe at some point i'll have to choose it as a pick just to you know for not force myself but to just to make good on that promise yeah yeah so yeah but but cameron did the second one i mean yeah. uh, scott did the first one cameron did the second one. uh written by hampton fancher and david peoples more on them later cinematography by jordan cronenworth and music by charles strauss i don't think that's not true music by vangelis i've got vangelis, i've got yeah. i've got an old thing here my apologies to vangelis <laughs> uh philip k dick first came up with the idea for his novel do androids dream of electric sheep in 62 while researching the man in the high castle which deals with nazis conquering the planet in the 1940s some sort of an alternate history uh dick had been granted access to the archived world war ii gestapo documents in the university of california at berkeley and i come across diaries written by uh, members of the ss stationed in poland which he found almost unreadable not because it was poor penmanship but because of how casual they were in their cruelty and lack of human empathy one sentence troubled him significantly direct quote we are kept awake at night by the cries of starving children um philip dick was so horrified by this sentence he reasoned there was obviously something wrong with the man who wrote it like from a biological perspective this led him to hypothesize that nazism in general was a defective group mind a mind so emotionally flawed that the word human could not be applied to them their lack of empathy was so pronounced that dick reasoned they couldn't be referred to as human beings even though their outward appearance would indicate that they should be called that the novel sprang from this idea and interesting enough it's now thought that some people are occupational psychopaths due to the low functioning capability of their amygdala the fear centers of the brain's limbic system wow so there we go it comes back to nazis imagine yeah. that 
Um, interested in, in, in adapting uh, the novel goes all the way back to when it was released in 1968. Martin Scorsese was interested and just couldn't yeah. make it work, which I think there's a really interesting alternate universe where we get a Martin Scorsese <laughs> take on Blade Runner. Um, I'll be very, I mean, there'll be Rolling Stones in here somewhere. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Dick was, uh, sorry, producer Herb Jaffe optioned it in the early 1970s and had his kid do the screenplay but it was so terribly done that when he met his kid at the airport he said shall i beat you up here at the airport or shall i beat you up back at my apartment so needless to say that that version didn't get made um and so there's two interesting things that i'm getting getting optioned here uh because when the version that we're familiar with when it starts to get sort of some traction uh it is um it is um, option for for the story do uh android dream of electric sheep but um ridley scott realized poor name for a film <laughs> so yeah, yeah he came across a screenplay called blade runner a movie and he bought the rights to the title of the screenplay yeah. not the book i just want your title because the 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 book itself was about a person who sold illegal surgical instruments but he said blade <laughs> runner as a, as a as a name is a great name for a film so he optioned that which is the first time i've heard of that happening and thought it was interesting enough to include in the research for today yeah, definitely. It's a, a catchy title. It, this would be different if we said, hey, welcome. And we're today, we're reviewing Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. <laughs> Which is a catchy title, but, but for for a different reason, it's, maybe, it, or, or gives a different vibe. It sounds like a, like a 19, like a, a, an album name by a 1990s alternative band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a weird Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> Yes. Um, uh, the screenplay we eventually saw was uh, created by a Hampton Fancher, uh, optioned in 77. Um, he convinced Ridley Scott to film it, even though Scott had previously turned it down. But after leaving the slow production of Dune, there's a timely reference, uh, wanted a faster-paced project to take his mind off his older brother's recent death. They're saying something, because in the pacing for this film... Um, I don't think quick would be a word I would use to describe it. Yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah. Um, he joined the project in February of 1980 and managed to push up the budget to $15 million. Um, Scott wanted changes, though, based on it, and so he uh, hired David Peoples to rewrite the script, and Fancher threw his toys out of the pram and left the job over that. But then he came back in December to do some rewrites, so he made his yeah. peace with it, I suppose. They became friends. Oh, that's good to know. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the sort of even 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 during the the, the production of the film and, and post production, they became close friends. Oh, that's good to know. There you go. Yeah. Look at these negatives as a positive. You might just meet your new best friend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dick became concerned that no one informed him about the film's production. <laughs> It wouldn't happen now because now the the media landscape is so massive and you need to fill content that everybody would be sort of reverse engineering it back to the source. But a different time, a different time in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, so after Philip Dick criticized an early version of Fancher's script in an article written for Los Angeles Select TV Guide, the studio sent him the rewrite. 
Uh, and he liked it. He really, really liked it. Uh, he said, uh, I saw a segment of Douglas Trimble's special effects for Blade Runner on the KNBC News. I recognized it immediately. It was my own interior world. They caught it perfectly. That was after he was invited to a trip to the studio uh, so t- to watch that. So he, he dug it. Unfortunately, one of the tragedies is that Philip Dick dies before yeah. the film can be released. And that's yeah. a shame. But what he saw, as we heard, he was really, really positive. There's a couple more sound bites of Philip Dick. I've sort of got... Uh, well, not sound bites, but quotes I've got queued up for describing some of the individual elements as we as we move on. It would end up being dedicated to Philip Dick. Um, <laughs> now, we talked about the director's cut. Now, we got to be careful with that word because this is the director's cut, but they let someone release because Ridley Scott's first cut went four hours long. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, there's there are different versions that that came out Um when the film came out, I mean, different different instances that only played yeah. during the first test screenings or the first release, uh, uh, limited releases. Yeah, so this one but, doesn't actually make, like, the. I don't believe there's ever been a public exhibition of no, this yeah, cut. Yeah, exactly. But the exactly. first time he went, here's my, here's my first go. It was four hours yeah. long. And they admitted that, and this is pretty much my feeling on uh, a lot of films these days. While it looked beautiful, it was mostly incomprehensible due to story problems, <laughs> which necessitated additional editing and an explanatory voiceover. Now, there's a lot of that we're going to talk about as we go through. However, they had wanted to include a voiceover, uh, an explanatory voiceover. However, um, it, it was supposed to supplement the mood of the scenes like music, not a voiceover that literally explained everything. But that's more or less what they would get. So as we go in, I think it's important. Maybe now we can just sort of lay the groundwork about what versions are more or less out there. So the first one, the theatrical cut, we'll just do, it does include a voiceover in several key time uh, keep on moments in the plot where i guess like well just like a narrator in a book sort of providing clarity on what we've seen so it has to be less inferential um one of the criticisms would be it was just too literal like he was just literally explaining what we had just watched what we were just about to watch and it felt a little handholdy um so that's interesting um so that's kind of the big and this and the first one has more of a happy ending, I suppose. And we can talk about that when we get to, to the ending about what it is, because I went back and, and, and rewatched it just for the sake of it because <laughs> I wanted to compare. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, I don't know how, how uh, deep we can get in that aspect, but the narration was, like you said, uh, forced by the studio. So they wanted him to, to have this narration and they hired. So I mean, uh, I think I don't know if it was Peoples or, or Fancher. One of one of them wrote um, uh, some narrations to include in the film, and and to, to what I was mentioning, uh, the, the studio dropped them and then hired someone else to do the narrations. And when they showed it, I think it was a screening for the for the crew. And Fancher and Peoples didn't know who had written the 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 voiceovers, and they both kept praising the the voiceover, the the script, or the dialogue that they had written because they thought it was the other one, and they didn't want to offend the other one. And say, oh, you know, this narration is cool, this narration is good because they thought the other one had written it. And both were doing that when they realized, <laughs> no, this is nobody, nobody, uh, none of us wrote this. Um, and and Harrison Ford was, uh, I think I mentioned this to you on, on Twitter. Harrison Ford was reluctant to do it he didn't want to do it and that's why he narrated it with the most boring voice that he had because oh. he, he just didn't want to do it um and i think i don't like the narration i've, I've seen bits and pieces of it um and I, I don't i don't like it 
but I think that his monotonous voice uh, pairs somewhat well with some of the interpretations that we can give to yeah. the film. Yeah, I think you're all um, around there. But, but we can get to that uh, as we move on. Uh, and there, uh, most, most people despise the narration, and, and most people uh, consider the director's cut as, or, or the final cut, which is the only one that really Scott uh, fully approves. Um, they consider those uh, the definitive versions. Yeah, so in 1992, they released the director's cut, which you would think the director would have a lot to do with, but outside of a few sort of consultancy notes to Warner Brothers, uh, it was uh, film preservationist Michael yeah. Eric who was put in charge of putting that one together. And uh, so, yeah, marketed, though, as director's cut, because that's a heck of a way. It's a lot better than just, here's take two. Uh, which might not have been yeah. <laughs> as catchy of a of, of, of a selling take, but um, it, it corrects some of the problems that people felt they had. Uh, it removes the narration. Uh, it changes. It removes at least one scene from the ending. Uh, it removes. It, 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 does this insert the unicorn in this one? Yes. Okay. Yes. So there are elements sort of to that where some nuances change interpretation yeah. of 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 the meaning of the film. We'll talk about that when we get to the relative points within within yeah. the deep dive. Uh, the final cut is the one that that um, really Scott directly supervised, and he pretty much I, I don't remember exactly what two thousand something uh, is, is when the final cut came out, and uh, the, the main changes there were more uh, visually aesthetically. Um, he digitally uh, fixed some some errors and removed some things, um, and he added uh, some bits of violence in some key scenes uh, that he thought, you know, we have to see this. Uh, but other than that, it's more or less identical to the to the director Scott. Yep, yeah, that was two thousand seven, and uh, yeah, he he pulled a George Lucas, but he pulled, but unlike this, like George Lucas fixed what wasn't broke. I think uh, Ridley yeah. took a chance to. I'm gonna say Ridley because we're because we're because we're buddies now. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I think he took a chance to uh, this opportunity to correct a few things that have been gnawing at him, not thematically, not but things that were like that's just a mistake. And if we can fix that, oh yeah, if I had never shot at that, I, I, I will do that. And there's a couple elements from that. So I will say that for the most part, what I watched and what you watched were the final cut. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Yeah, Problem. it was it was on. Um, well, for for me, I actually had to purchase the the final oh, cut. Okay. I could watch the, the the theatrical cut on Amazon Prime here in the UK. So it was an interesting uh, combination thereof. Um, okay. So I had two versions of Amazon Prime going on on my PlayStation. I had the one I'd I'd no, I had the the theatrical cut, and on my smart TV, I had the 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 final cut. Was sort of bouncing back and forth as as need be because there's a total Mandela effect thing that went on in my head. I think, <laughs> I think someone tell me if I'm wrong, but I remembered something completely wrong. So we'll take a look at that. Uh, we begin. We check out the score a little bit. We've bye bye Vangelis, like we said earlier. Uh, Vangelis, who previously did Chariots of Fire, which we did with Reverend Bruce out there. Yeah. On a side note, watch out for Reverend Bruce later in July. He's coming back. I know his film choice. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'll say this: this theme, not man, did Vangelis find the perfect like half of a decade to rise to prominence. Yeah because yeah like the early 80s were full of stuff that that electric synth sound works for and then unfortunately he would be completely irrelevant by the time the decade comes yeah. to an end yeah definitely uh, but this i mean he blew up he really blew up mm -hmm. in this in this decade and, and this is one of his most 
popular uh, works on this film. I mean, it's like, I mean, it shares a fire too. I mean, yeah. everybody, you hear that tune and everybody knows where it comes, comes I don't, from. I don't mean people talk enough actually about, about the, the, the Blade Runner soundtrack as I was going, or score, sorry, as I was going through it, I was sitting there going, it's, I don't, I think because it lacks that, that, like, you can't hum. At least I don't think there's anything here you can hum. But I'm like the Chariots of Fire theme. I don't think there was anything that you walk out kind of. Mm-hmm. We've talked more about what's the difference between John Williams and, uh, I said Ridley Scott. That's not correct. Hans Zimmer. And the That's thing, Zimmer, yeah. and the thing is that John Williams writes a theme. Like he's, he's, he's the master of a theme and you'll come out yeah, humming yeah. it. Hans Zimmer is just the master of scoring, I think, where he takes me on an emotional journey in the films. Not that, not that, and of course, not that they don't cross over, not that Zimmer hasn't written him some bangers of themes, and Williams hasn't written him some overall excellent soundtracks or scores, but um, but just generally, that's kind of a, a nice way to distinguish that. And I think Vangelis, in this case, is more, this is more of a, uh, of just a really nice audio guide through the film, as opposed to, that that yeah no one's at the there's, pub there's, quiz there's going not any oh, warm there. oh you, you know this is this is blade runner there's, there's not really that yeah yeah definitely there are no no uh like earworms that get in, inside your ear um here but but it's a really really um complement to what we're seeing on screen and i'm i'm I might have something to say about that later, but but yeah, I, I love it. There we go. Uh, well, what else is on the screen? There's an opening crawl. Hey, we got Han Solo in the film. Let's go ahead and do a crawl. Uh, we find out. You know what? I'm okay with with like graphics on the screen that give me exposition that I have to have. This is really effective. We learned that there's a Terrell Corporation who I forgot about instantly. Uh, the Nexus was enough. Nexus six replicants. Uh, we know there's some who have mutinied. Uh, it's gone bloody and off world colony. They're heading back to Earth, but if they're on Earth, they're penalty of death. And Blade Runner units have orders to shoot to kill um, because they are subhuman. Um, yeah, uh, we'll talk about the legacy of this film uh, towards the end and other things that it's influenced, which is a huge amount. But there's some key things that jumped in my notes almost instantly. But we opened Los Angeles, November 2019. And I laughed and I have a running gag of, uh, well, they got that wrong <laughs> about the future. <laughs> but we'll see kind of how that goes. The night sky is filled with CGI explosions and flying cars and what looks like a giant pyramid with cross cuts of shining eyes and a man in a blue room. And eventually we cut yeah. to the Kowalski interview, and I got news for you. I thought this was Harrison Ford at first. Yeah, the one that's interviewing him. The one who's doing the, one who's doing the interview. I was like, oh, it's yeah. Harrison Ford. I don't remember him being this. Because I remember very little about this film, because I haven't seen it in 27 years. Um, I was like, oh, this is, this is clearly. And I kept going, he doesn't look really like I remember the still images, though. But even his voice had a very Harrison Ford. Uh, quality to it so uh props to whoever played holden i thought he was fantastic yeah it, it's a brief role but he's good he, he, he does a great job i mean he's uh let's see who he was uh, uh morgan paul morgan, morgan paul. paul there we go yeah uh, and this is great because like, like anytime you do something like this that you're gonna come the first time we have to watch it so the second time when it's different or we have that insider information so you have to sit through the one so we become familiar with it 
Yeah. Um, Holden, who is not Harrison Ford, I, he finds it odd that Leon doesn't know what a tortoise is. And it was this, this idea that if you, if you sort of ask questions long enough, that the replicants would sort of trip up in some capacity. And although it was presented as a question or a quiz about empathy, uh, I think really it was just about kind of knowing where's the hole in your cultural knowledge. And eventually we'll find something that you missed in your programming. Um, yeah, they're, they're, um, they're definitely they're trying to spot where these uh, rogue replicants are. I mean, yeah. and and uh, they have this test. Repl- um, Blade Runners have this uh, established test. The Boyd Kampf test is, the, is what they call it, where they ask a series of questions to to uh, a subject, and they determine if it is a replicant or not uh, using their answers, using their eyes, and, and different different criteria to find who they were looking for. It's not as similar from like a lie detector test that we've all seen yeah. on TV and film ad nauseum. So it, it gave a sense of accessibility. Okay, rather than read out a, a whatever, we're looking in your eye, but they get the concept. I'm going to ask you questions and look for, for how your body unconsciously gives it away potentially. So that was all right. Uh, we go back to, oh, sorry, Leon gets upset that he wouldn't help the tortoise and the thoughts of his mother cause him to shoot Holden. And I get that he's supposed to be super powered. His bullet knocks Holden into the next room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It should seem like uh, two or three times, I think. But yeah, he, he goes yeah. through a wall. <laughs> yeah. Uh, walls are not very strongly built in this movie, I've discovered. Uh, we get the LA cityscape, lots of product placement. I saw Pan Am, I saw Coke. And we see a guy sitting down, um, I think it's by a noodle bar of some sort, but he's staring off into, and he sees this advert for off world, get off earth, earth is no good, live clean, kind of, you know, humans have ruined, humans have ruined earth. And this is where the voiceover would have started if you were watching the theatrical cut. Yeah. 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 But it, it's a constant, um, promotion of, of a quote unquote better life, um, because earth, uh, it's not functional anymore. We see that in the landscape. Actually, the the, the landscape is called the Hades landscape, where we see everything is industrial. There is fire. There's always rain. Yeah. It's always dark. Um, and that's that's kind of a, a standard in a lot of uh, dystopian sci-fi's. Uh, we see that the Matrix, I mean, the Matrix, we burn monkeys, the sky. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, even even other uh, not sci-fi, but for example, Seven. Seven, I, I was just about to bleak. say seven. It's raining yeah. the whole time. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's raining or it's night all the time, yeah. except at the end. Um, uh, but yeah, and, and so they, they're they're promoting this better life of world to start a new, start your, a new life. And we meet Rick Deckard, played by uh, Harrison Ford. I think I've said that correctly. Yeah. Uh, casting the film proved troublesome, especially for the lead, which you wouldn't think would have been that difficult. Apparently, it was written with Robert Mitchum in mind. But by this point, Mitchum's way too old to play this sort yeah, of a role. definitely. Um, so they spent months meeting and discussing by they, I mean, Ridley Scott and the producers and Dustin Hoffman. They tried really hard to yeah. get him in there, but it was departed, uh, over differences in their vision. And then Harrison Ford was ultimately chosen first most, I think being that Harrison Ford's a bankable movie star. Yeah. He was coming off, uh, of star Wars, obviously, uh, Empire Strikes Back had uh come out in 1980 and raiders uh, it, was just raiders yeah raiders hadn't dropped yet but they were hearing the buzz that it's going to be a big deal and of course it yeah. was yeah 
So uh, at this point, Ford's looking for a role with dramatic depth, something he would keep doing for a while, actually. Uh, if you think yep. about when he goes and does Witness in, like, 85, yep. he keeps looking for that legitimacy as an actor. And I think it starts here. Um, according to production documents, other actors considered for the role were Gene Hackman, Sean Connery, Jack Nicholson, Paul Newman, Clint Eastwood, Tommy Lee Jones, which feels his stature wasn't there yet. Arnold, yeah. Nick Nolte, Al Pacino, Burt Reynolds, and my favorite, Peter Falk. <laughs> yeah. Columbo. Columbo yeah. himself. I just want to see him kind of going, leaves the room and goes back to that replicants. Just 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 one more thing. <laughs> as, <laughs> as he did in every one of those films. I loved me some Columbo growing up. Yeah, I, I think I saw uh, a couple of episodes when I was a kid, but I, I barely remember it. Oh, I love Columbo. Um, so to ensure for Ford, he didn't want to wear a hat in this movie, having just come off Raiders and hated the experience. He went and got a contemporary haircut without telling or clearing it with Ridley Scott. And I think that's a general microcosm of what their relationship would be like throughout this film, where... Yeah they either irritated or pushed back on each other all yeah. the time. Yeah. Starting with the, the, the thing of the narration, I mean, really, really Scott didn't want the narration no. either, but, but they, they clashed all the way through the film. Yeah. Uh, Philip Dick uh, came on the set to see Harrison Ford as Deckard and declared he has been more Deckard than I had imagined. It has been incredible. Deckard exists. Yeah. But yeah, he was a fan. He liked. I'll tell you who wasn't a fan. Harrison Ford said Blade Runner is not one of my favorite films. I tangle with Ridley. Apart from friction with the director, Ford also disliked the voiceovers, which we talked about. Uh, direct quote: It was a fucking nightmare. I thought that the <laughs> film had worked without the narration, but now I was stuck recreating that narration, and I was obliged to do the voiceovers for people who did not represent the director's interests. So you know the voiceovers got to be bad if he's like, I hate the director, but I hate that it's not his. Vi- I'm going to stand up for the director. Yeah. Even though I hate him, yeah, yeah, Crazy. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it, it, everything. A, a lot of things went wrong. I mean, um, uh, the the um, uh, filming was uh, extended. Uh, they, they didn't finish on time. Nope. Uh, the the voiceovers. Uh, they kept reworking the script, and yep. and it, it was they they all of the cast complained about that, and it was. One of the first films with really Scott, really Scott, Scott uh, clashed with the crew. Uh, he had a lot of issues with producers, and it, it was apparently it was uh, as hellish as, as the landscape. Uh, I've got here the narration monologues were written by an uncredited Roland Kibbe for whatever that's yeah. worth. Uh, in 2006, Ridley Scott was asked, who's the biggest pain in the ass you've ever worked with? He replied, it's got to be Harrison Ford. <laughs> He'll forgive me now because now I get on with him. Now he's become charming, but he knows a lot. That's the problem. When we worked together, it was my first film, and I was the new kid on the block, but we made a good movie. Ford said to Scott in 2000, I admire his work. We had a bad patch there, and I'm over it. What I remember more than anything else when I see Blade Runner is not the 50 nights of shooting in the rain, but the voiceover. <laughs> I was still applying. <laughs> to work for these clowns that came in writing one bad voiceover after another and he's there he's eating noodles and i think he's having a hard time ordering the noodles from the person behind the uh, counter and then there's two cops who come to arrest him while he's eating said noodles and now the guy behind the counter perfect i understand what you're saying perfectly at all times and i'm going to translate for oh what was his name 
the uh, the number two here. The guy kept coming back over and over again. Yeah, Gaff. Gaff, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Gaff. Um, who I guess spoke Chinese? Is that was is that the language they were speaking? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Not There's a, Chinese, a lot of uh, not a Chinese uh, actor. I found out. <laughs> No, no, no. He's he's pure Latino. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but but there's a, a constant presence of Chinese uh, Chinese presence in yeah. the promotions and the people. There's it's like a Chinatown area, um, and I don't know if it, if it has. Uh, there are uh, other sci-fi films that imply that in the future U.S. is going to be like uh, uh, conquered by China or some Asian power. Uh, so I don't know if if it's a commentary on that. I'm not sure. It did feel like how can we make this seem as different from from you know modern day experiences as possible? I know what we'll do because it even lets you. It's not even the same alphabet, right? You just go ahead and you throw Chinese characters on the wall, and people go, "Whoa!" It's it's just a level of a level of difference, a level of you know. When he's sitting down, he's having noodles of all you know, and and even that recurring shot of that skyscraper, big electronic billboard. Yeah, which was yeah. some sort of a geisha, I think, over and over yes, and over again, yeah, shilling exactly. something. So, yeah, it seems like culturally there's been a shift towards a more Eastern perspective. Um, I've lost where I was. I don't know if, if but um, the other uh, book that you mentioned that Philip K. Dick wrote, The Man, Man in the High Castle. Yep. Uh, there was a series made about that a couple of years ago. I, I started watching season one, but I really didn't like it, so I, I gave up. But part of the point of that film is that Nazis dominate, uh, win the World War. It's an alternate reality, and Nazis win World War II along with, with Japan. Yeah. And they split the United States into two sections. Uh, one section goes to Japan, and another section goes to, to Germany. Um and obviously, it's a different country. I mean, it's Japan. But uh, there's also that Asian presence in the U.S., that Asian control as a result of a war or, or of a conflict. So I think I think there's a bit of that here in, in how we see that Chinese presence. Yeah. Um, they said, listen, oh, you're a Blade Runner. And things about number two, 2019 they got wrong. Number one was flying cars. I mean, without question. <laughs> flying cars. I don't have one yet. Not over here. No, no. Number two is payphones. We still have payphones everywhere. <laughs> so I was sitting there going, payphones were so important in this film. Um, yeah. You know, but the flying car, they get into one of those, and Deckard's still eating his noodles in the cop car, which I appreciated. Yeah. And they're going to the police uh, station, uh, which I've noticed in the future, there no one's no one's turning the lights on. I've noticed that because, you know, everything's, yeah. you know, don't, don't turn the light on in the police station. That would just get in the way. Yeah. There's a there's a constant uh, noir noir vibe yeah. in the film uh, all the way, and you know, film noir has that dark vibe uh, that uh, shadows, lots of lots of views of shadows and light, and and it's it's this is very very present here. There's a lot of there's a lot of faces half lit and yeah. half shadowed, and, and it's yeah, just, yeah. just the duality yeah, and all that stuff. Uh, we meet Bryant, uh, played by M. Emmett Walsh, who, if you've seen Knives Out, which we did a review on a while ago now, uh, he's the old, the old gatekeeper, sort of, um, I don't know. He, he works the property. Yeah, um, yeah. He's, he's a legend. I did not recognize him. I paused just to the character's name, and Amazon, of course, tells you the, the actor name. I thought, oh, I'll see what else he's been in. And my jaw dropped when I saw the face. I was like, wow, he aged in a very specific way, but didn't look very similar to where he was at that point. So, 
yeah um he says that he's got four skin jobs walking the street that felt more sexualized than i thought it was going to i suppose (laughs) maybe we're just a more crude society now where everything means something but yeah i thought that was a bit rough uh we get and we get the back we find out now that decker now knows what we didn't know about in case you missed it you weren't reading there was a shuttle it was overthrown 26 people died decker goes i don't work here anymore uh Deckard says you know ask holden you know holden survived but he's plugged in somewhere so just a little bit of but i felt really effective um exposition i i, I come at movies a lot when the exposition's done poorly yeah. this is done well this is done really well yeah 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 and, and the 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 skin job thing i i i really like that because it, it establishes something that you touched uh a while ago you know that that they are they human dehumanizing the, the the replicants. I mean, they're not human, right? But that's that's the big point of the film. Uh, how these uh, replicants, which were built for things that humans didn't want to do, they were built for slave labor, for uh, military, and for other stuff. That's the reason they build them. But they're dehumanizing. You know, they're, they're skin jobs. They're not human. They're yep. just uh, androids. So that that dismissiveness, that insult uh, to them, it, I think it's key to what we're going to see the rest of the film. And then um, Bryant says, he need, "I need the old Blade Runner. I need your magic." And he kind of agrees to do it. And then Gaff um, has made a unicorn and puts it on the table—a little tinfoil no, uniform. A unicorn. He, he makes a chicken. Was well, a chicken at this point? Yeah, he's a chicken at this point because he's he's teasing Decker that you know you, you have to accept this. He's not your chicken. Oh, okay, I'm glad yeah. you're here for this because I, I I just assumed everything was a unicorn. <laughs> no, no, he makes he makes three three origami pictures, which okay. we, we can we can touch. But the the first one is here. He makes a chicken uh, as a tease to to Decker. You know, you're a chicken. You're if chicken. You, if okay. you don't accept this, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I, they didn't really do anything to sort of explain who Gaff was. So for me, I found Gaff to be an annoyance throughout the film. I, I think it, it's it's weird. His his presence is weird. I I mean, I like uh, Edward James almost uh, the actor that plays him, but I, I agree that his presence is weird. When we maybe get to the end, I mean, maybe we can talk about it. But but he he's more he's. He's supposed to be a Blade Runner as well. Oh, is he? Um, but yeah, he, okay. apparently that's that's what he's supposed to be. But uh, his 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 role is more like he's overseeing what Decker does. I mean, he doesn't do anything. No, uh, he's just he just pairs with him, uh, and when he goes to Leon's apartment, that's that's just it. He just like comes in and and looks for him or picks him up for something uh but that's it and, and his presence might feel weird but there's there's a sense that he's like supervising or, or overseeing let's see let's make sure that he does the job or, or he does what he's supposed to do um just in case you didn't catch anything we're going to watch the interview from earlier so we're going to watch them watch what we saw earlier it's one of the test screenings um yeah. we find of course the 23 people were killed by six replicants deckard's like well why are they coming back to earth and brian's like yep us too there's a 360 degree pan of someone's head who's that we get introduced quickly to roy zora and pris don't worry about pris she's just a pleasure model um and 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 this is where it got really dehumanizing where it's like okay this guy here his job is to lift this guy here his job is to think and plan this girl here she's just there for the for the relief of i don't know human beings who are out there yeah um which is very westworld 
I was going to bring it up later, but this feels very Westworld. Now, I know Westworld as a as a film probably even predates this, but I'm, I'm thinking about, about the yes. about the yes. HBO sort of um, re, relaunch, yes. the series, yeah. Uh, and I thought this had fingerprints of Blade Runner all over that. Yeah, I, I haven't seen Westworld, so I didn't oh, it's I so good. seen the really film or, or the show, yeah. But, but, but yeah, I, I, for, for what I know of the show, yeah, it has that, that maybe that futuristic um, vibe, uh, weird world where things are not necessarily what they seem to be. Um, so, yeah. But, but I, I like how they establish, you know, you have four replicants. Uh, you have Leon, who's, who's a cargo worker, something like that, you know, hard labor. Yep. You have Roy Batty, who's uh, the, the combat model. Yep. He's a fighter. He's a soldier. You have Sora. Uh, she's like a, um, a part of a murder squad, an assassin, so to speak. And you okay. have Chris, who's a pleasure model. Uh, so uh, there, there are four, like you mentioned, four um, important things established here. You know, these are people that were um, um, uh, replicants, androids, whatever, designed for things that humans don't want to do. I mean, yeah. we're 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 using them um as utilities as tools for for things and uh something that they mentioned uh, the, i don't know you're probably gonna get to it but the the um they are designed to have no emotions the way they design them they have no emotions but they might still develop so they say you know uh they are supposed to have no emotions but with time they might still develop some so the device a fail safe which was a four-year lifespan after four years, the, the replicants will will die, um, and and the you see the dates, you see the dates yeah. where they were incepted, and you see they're close to it. Especially Roy, which is the lead one, he's close to a four year lifespan. See, I didn't pay enough attention on that uh, when they were popping up on the screen, but yeah, they do uh, show um, inception date, and then and then uh, what do they call it? It's not extermination date. Uh, inception dates when they are created, but yeah, ter- termination termination date. Or, date. That's or, yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, think about a four-year cycle. I mean, you'd only have to go through one go of that political rigmarole you guys do for presidential elections. <laughs> you'd only have one summer opening games. You wouldn't have to compare, how is this to the previous opening ceremonies? Oh, it'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, we head back to the pyramid, uh, to the Terrell Corporation, and owl flies across the set and it's supposed to be explicitly mentioned that for the most part animals are extinct yeah yeah, yeah. it's not explicitly mentioned but but it's unfair you can infer uh, pretty whenever, easily yeah. Yeah. whenever whenever someone if they do it with the owl they do it with the snake later uh where they mention you know uh is, is it real and uh, of course not <laughs> of course not real do you think i'm rich or i don't yeah. have the money to pay for that so uh it's unfair and we meet rachel played by sean young who i looked up everything i i'm like i know her from other things what is it and yeah. couldn't find it <laughs> yeah she, she was pretty pretty uh into it in the 80s she was a um was she i think i don't know if she was in <sighs> say anything with john cusack i think it, it was her i don't i don't remember but but yeah in the 80s she was she was uh, a, a big thing in the 80s um yeah uh, I, I remember i just a lot of stuff she's come up like short for which like she was like also considered Sean Young or who almost did this Sean Young. It does feel like she was one of the people who were really really big for early parts of of, of the eighties and never really fully clicked. She's been working ever since. Like her, her IMDb list is 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 substantial, but not in leading roles. It seems like she peaked here and then kind of just hits into supporting roles and then just bit roles. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so then we've got, uh, she does ask him though, have you ever retired a human by mistake and talks about, you know, how it could be, there is some sort of chance that this could occur and you can tell she's wrestling with sort of, you know, what about that? What if that decision is wrong? Which kind of, we're going to find out more about why she's saying that as we meet Dr. Eldon Terrell played by Joe Turkle. Um, and he wants there to be a standardized, they want to standardize it against the human being. And basically, this is a plot way so that we can get Decker to realize that Rachel's a replicant. But it feels like it's just a really clumsy way of getting there. Do a test. He could have just pulled him into a room and gone, by the way, she's a replicant. But he's like, let's go through the whole process so we can see the test again. Yeah, but I think it's a way to measure uh, Deckard as well. His skills, because after all, Rachel is his experiment, and he wants to see how how well uh, she's built. I mean, how much she, she can uh, trick someone into thinking she's a human. When Rachel goes to light her cigarette, she has the lighter over her face and then pulls it back to behind her cheek and then lights it there. I couldn't think of any significance besides that it might cause her eyes to flash, and that might, and that might, you know be a, a revelation she doesn't want to have happen i could think because i went back and rewound it it's a very intentional she goes oh hang on and goes back to beside her cheek and does it there that's the only thing i could think of yeah maybe uh the the uh the eye the, there's a, a common motif with the eyes and how the eyes are you know you know they say the eyes are windows to the soul um it, but the eyes are, are what pretty much gives away who is a replicant and who is not. You know, when, when they make the test, they are checking your eyes. And there's a, all through the film, everybody that is, is a replicant, uh, the director puts like a, uh, a flash on, on the eye. Yeah. You can see it, you know, whenever everybody that's a replicant, you can see an eye. And we can talk about something that happens with that towards the end. But, uh, but yeah, that, maybe that, that's the reason why. Um, he asks a bunch of questions and she's answering them all kind of in the right way. And then it's just this past, this just this thing in passing. You're at a dinner party, yada, 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 and they're serving boiled dog. And he just sort of acts like there's more to come. But because she doesn't, I think this is the clue. She doesn't, she doesn't interrupt him on the concept of boiled dog. And this is where you go, okay, you've clearly failed the test here. Uh, and this is where we find out and they find out that she is a replicant. Now, to be fair, she's been speaking in the most robotic tone ever since she was introduced. <laughs> like, this is not exactly Carl Ripley's They're Not Gonna Believe This. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it it kind of like uh, like what I said about Harrison Ford doing his voiceovers in a very monotonous way. Uh, she's not a very charismatic person. So No, I think I, there's a reason why Sean Young's career maybe didn't go yeah. beyond that. <laughs> well, who knows? <laughs> For this film, you're our girl. <laughs> um, you're going to do a lot. Uh, we go to the case, and I'm telling you what, man. Uh, they go to Leon's hotel room, and I didn't know what this thing was they found. I could have used a voiceover here because I'm like, is it a guitar pick? Is it a fingernail? What What is this thing? Oh, but but uh, Deckard even doesn't know what it is. He he, he thinks it's a fingernail, uh, but when he takes it to analyze later, yeah. they, they tell him they tell him what it is. You know, what we could have used here, man. We could have used some yeah. dialogue from <laughs> to tell someone. What do you reckon that is? Is that a fingernail? I don't know, man. I'm gonna bag it anyway, but I got no cl- as opposed to every uh, large portions of this film are just silence and Gaff looking at Deckard like he's doing like a school project yeah. on him. 
it, it's a it's a very very moody uh, film. Very, it is a very, very moody slow film. burning, very moody, very atmospheric, uh, and there, there's a lot of things that are kind of left hanging, and they explain them later. Yeah. Uh, just just like that, because you, you're gonna find out later what it is, what it really is, because he he does take it to analyze it, so so uh, we get to know what it is. It takes a while. That's all I'm yeah. gonna say. It takes a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it takes a while. Something that that uh, it's mentioned in the after the the. Uh, the test to Rachel um, that that is really really important is that uh, Tyrell tells um, oh, yeah. uh, Deckard that Rachel doesn't know that she's a replicant. Replicant, replicant replicants usually know, you know, I'm a replicant, I'm an android, but Rachel doesn't know. And the way that they work with that is that they gift them with a the past. They gift them with a the past. They give them memories. Yep. Uh, they insert memories in in them. Uh, to serve as a cushion and helps control them and and, and control those emotions, uh, and that's that's uh, a key element to what we're going to see later. And he very specifically says she's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So then we uh, there's more origami constructed. What was this one of? I thought. <laughs> It it, lo- it looks like a monkey, okay. but at this one I'm I'm also uh, doubtful. But what I found is that it's a, a man with an erection. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah, it, it's it's obviously a stick figure, but it has yeah. like a, a, a something an appendage. Okay. Uh, and I, I thought it was it was a, a monkey's tail. But what I read is that maybe he's teasing um, Deckard because he was obviously smitten with Rachel. So he's like uh, teasing him, uh, oh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna stay with uh, that way. <laughs> do you really pick up that he's smitten at this point? Because I don't he think was, I do. No, no, no I, I don't think so. But uh, he he was obviously, I think, impressed with the craft or, or, or how far they've taken. Because right. when Tyrell tells him that that she's he's like 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 what like, <laughs> uh, uh, and and obviously. Tyrell tells him, you know, it, it usually he asks uh, Deckard, how long does it take you to usually spot a replica? He says 20, 30 questions. And he says it took you 100 questions yep. to spot this one. Yep. So she's, she's uh, a good design. It's, it's a, a step further in the technology. So I suppose that that's maybe not smitten in a romantic way, and maybe that's one of my issues with the film, that relationship. Um, but but um, but impressed maybe yep. impressed with the with the craft um we there's, there's an atari sign for just it's not early 1980s hey look atari's here a thing uh <laughs> we we meet roy batty played by rutger hauer um yeah this was the like easiest casting that really scott apparently did never met him based yeah. only on his performances in the films of paul verhoven um, which Scott had seen. Uh, for those people keeping track at home, that would be uh, Katie Tipple, Soldier of Orange, and Turkish Delight. Um, <laughs> Philip Philip K-, K. Dick, the writer of the original source material, said he was the perfect baddie, cold, Aryan, flawless. Like, if you want to tell me there's a Nazi imagery for this thing, yeah. like, absolutely with this guy. This guy is is a Nazi's wet dream. I mean, he's just everything yeah. you would want. Yeah, yeah. They uh, dyed his hair. His hair is pretty much... Black, uh, uh, white, um, uh, you know, white guy, white hair, um, the eyes. Yep. The, 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 his, his eyebrow is very, very Aryan. Uh, Rucker Hauer says that uh, this is his favorite film. Of yeah. course it is. It's also the thing that was probably the biggest, I think. 
but yeah. he says it just is all the best there's nothing like it to be part of a real masterpiece which changed the world's thinking it's awesome um and so he asks uh leon who looks a lot better i must say out and about <laughs> did you get your precious photos no someone was there and they go oh the policeman uh, and then there's we, a call back to, to the pictures, you know, uh, he has pictures, but he's an Android, but he has pictures that he, uh, apparently treasures in some way because uh, it yeah. goes to, to the thing that they're doing with the Androids, how they want to, uh, hold some memories or something. Okay. Uh, then we go to the eye doctor, uh, played by James Hong, James Hong, who, you know, I believe this is the guy from the famous Seinfeld episode who was Seinfeld four. Like this guy was all over the 1990s and eighties. If you, if you were going to cast someone of, of this nationality, uh, James Hong was on your short list. He was everywhere. He was also in Wayne's world. Oh yeah. 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 yeah I- uh, he just makes eyes and is disturbed by the. Obviously, he's in a room, like super cryogenically cold yeah. uh, environment. Uh, two guys just walk in. Obviously, it's a little bit uh, unnerving. Although um, Hong, whose character's name is, did I actually write it down? Hannibal. Two. Hannibal. Hannibal Chu. Yeah, Hannibal Chu. Uh, Hannibal um, starts to get a little, figures out pretty quickly, and Roy says he's got some questions. He knows who it is because they reach in to the cryogenic freezing cylinder, and it doesn't affect them. And he goes, oh, okay, I know what's going on. They rip yeah. his coat off to make him talk, or else you'll get hypothermia. And he's trying to figure out who can I talk to who's going to help me get the answer I want of when is my um termination date when is that going to occur and uh handle says to get hypothermia but does give up i think he gives up oh what's his name he mentions the uh, Terrell sebastian. corporation but he asked ah, sebastian. Sebast- sebastian absolutely yeah uh we go to decker's place and it turns out rachel's there and just wants to see him so in 2019 you just break into the person's house <laughs> how she how she found out where he lives let's not ask that question let's not let's not do these things they just get in the way of the movie that we're watching uh, <laughs> <laughs> they just find out you know uh, we but fo- yeah that, 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 that's that's another another noirish well, thing the, you know it's it, it's fatale thing, isn't it? It, it, you always have the detective the tough detective and whenever he gets home you know the the, the femme fatale is behind the door so that that's a, a very frequent motif so well, this would also there. this would also suggest that you need to have the voiceover as well yeah i i think I think that's maybe one of the reasons why they went that way because after all, it's a, it's a film with a very noirish vibe. Yeah. Uh, and maybe they thought, you know, uh, we, we need to some expository dialogue, some voiceover narration. How oh, it fits the theme. Uh, they just apparently uh, wrote some lousy narration. <laughs> so yep. maybe the narration was better. If the, the dialogue was better, uh, it wouldn't be so much of an issue. Um, she says that Dr. Terrell wouldn't see her. Uh, she goes, you think I'm a replicant, don't you? She goes, look, I have a photograph. And then he starts reading off like three of her most prized, you wouldn't tell anybody memories. Yeah. And he goes, you know any of those? How do I know that? How do I know that? Because they gave you, like, he's got all the nuance of like a dump truck as he just unloads <laughs> on yeah. her. Yeah. And I guess uh, that's because he's, he views her as a replicant. He views her as subhuman. So yeah, exactly. me, it's like a machine. It's like if your toaster suddenly thought, you know, it, it had, it had, it had a, a high school yearbook and you went, no toaster, make my toast. But, but then we get what we were talking about if he was smitten or not, because he, he quickly backpedals when he, when he sees her reaction that he's affected by what he tells 
uh, tells her, uh, he quickly knows I'm joking, and he tries to walk back on it because he knows yep. that what he's saying is hurting her. Um, I've got written down here. She's actually quite good in this scene, I thought, when she was crying. Um, yeah. We had some 50-50 lighting all over both their faces at this point. Uh, something that I just learned this week is the term, where is it here? Charoscuro lighting. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a, uh, one of the trademarks of uh, film noir. There we go. I was doing yeah. some marking of, of another center's <laughs> work. your homework. <laughs> and, came, and came across the term Charoscuro, and I went, what the heck is this? And so I, I looked it up and went, oh, okay. I get it. And then what are the odds? I would blade runner. I'd be like, Oh, it's all over this, <laughs> this thing yeah, that I've yeah. never seen. But it's not the first time I had never, I, I promise there's a link here. It reminds me of the first time I ever heard Gangnam style because after <laughs> the debacle that was Friday by Rebecca black, I was trying to stay away from those super, um, kitschy kind of novelty songs. And I was in my last year, my undergrad, my buddy went, you got to check this out. You never gang him out in games. He's like, oh, no. And I was stuck in a lecture hall. I couldn't get away. And he opened his laptop and, you know, hey, sexy lady. And then next thing you know, like the next day, I went in somewhere and it's playing on the radio. And then I saw something on it. It was all of a sudden it was everywhere because I was familiar with it. Now it was there. And that's what Charoscuro lighting feels like it's going to be in my life now. Yeah, no, it, it's just the... the uh, use of light and shadows, um, primarily in 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 uh, not necessarily in film, but the way that that yeah. they take it and treat it in film is what gives this uh, noirish vibe. That I mean, like I said, that that's like a common trait of of film noir. Um, she throws her pictures down and she storms out before Decker can return with the drink he promised her. And uh, then we meet Pris, played by Daryl Hannah. And I wish Georgia was here because there's no way she would have clued in. This is one of the women from Steel Magnolias. There's not a prayer. Yeah, and that's another actress that was a, a, a big thing in the 80s. Yeah, really big uh, thing. Yeah, she was, she was Splash? in Splash. Splash yeah. is a terrible yeah. film. <laughs> oh, Splash, I seen it in, oh, Splash in, is dreadful. Forever. Like, truly dreadful. I watched it for our Tom Hanks Real Roundtable. What a terrible film. <laughs> I haven't seen it in probably 20 years, so I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but she's sort of she's kind of doing that scene that was in like every 1980s movie where you weren't just surrounded by like you weren't by the garbage for some reason that meant loose newspaper had to be around you in order to create a sense of fullness in your in your poverty and so um a gentleman comes over to help her she gets nervous and runs away and trips and falls into a car window smashing it not in the script yeah. genuine mistake slip on the wet ground yeah. obviously they accentuated it with foley and post but that was not the intention she chipped her elbow in eight places and still was the scar yeah yeah <laughs> i i think i read that uh the scar is visible in, in a film i don't remember what film oh, okay yeah. I, I think if you're really scott you kind of owe it to her to keep it in if, if if they keep going which they do there's no cuts like it's it's, it's a long take and they keep you know what and that, now we 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 were talking. We mentioned seven. I mean, yep. it doesn't really have, but but there's a, a similar vibe. And Brad Pitt uh, injured his hand with a with a window uh, in in a chase scene in, in yep. seven as well. So there you go. I'll just I'll just it wasn't one that really fits with the conversation, but it's it's a famous one. Leo DiCaprio and the shard of glass in uh, Django and keeping oh, yeah yeah keeping it going. Just like props. I you know what. I, 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to call myself out here because I, I sat there and was impressed because Daryl Hannah didn't strike me as the level of actress who would keep going. Oh yeah, no, she no. would strike. I would have thought she would have gone. Oh no, I've ruined it and and not ended it. So so I'm calling myself out for for maybe oh, I underestimated her as an actress as opposed to just a pretty face maybe. Yeah yeah. Um, what do we have here? She says she's lost, has no home. Says she's hungry. I mean, give her props. She's she's asking for what she wants. JF Sebastian invites her in, and the score suggests it's going to go badly, but actually it goes okay for quite a while. Yeah, um, but but she's luring him. I mean, she she's that that's her that's the, her stick. I mean, that's why she uh, pretended to be in the trash. That's why why she uh, pretended to be lost. Because oh, do you, think that's, do you think that's what it is? Yeah, she's because is she bait? they told him they told Batty that uh, JF Sebastian is the one that's going to take it, take them to to Tyrell. So they're sending. So they, they're setting JF so her Sebastian plan up. is if I sit here, I just know that JF Sebastian will come rescue me. Yeah, because that's they find out where he lives. Oh, That's close where he lives, and they she's she's standing right outside her apartment. But they have to go drive right outside his apartment. They have sorry. to drive for a while, don't they? I, I, no, no, bit, no. He no. he just got out of a car. He, oh, he is that what it was? Oh, okay, car. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, he's a genetic designer, and we're met by some friends he's created. I, I really wish they'd gone to a bit more detail about this because I was <laughs> like, what in the name of the island, the misfit toys, do we have going on here? Yeah, his house is full with with androids, small androids, and that again he calls friends. He's a loner, but again he goes to to that notion of of what is human, what is not, what is real, what is not. And there's a whole other conversation about about the the, the beings he's created here, and yeah. what they mean, and what is that life? But we just kind of go, he's weird, and that's all. That's kind of all we do is just sort of place that on him, and then he's off to the side because he's a plot device that gets gets him to Terrell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he's a key to get there. Uh, I think there are there are uh, a bit of things that the plot uh, gets across through Sebastian, especially when we get into his illness. Um, yes, but but yeah, after all, he's he's just the, the plot device of how they get to Tyrell. After all, um, Deckard dreams. He's playing the score to the movie. As it turns out, and what I thought was was non-diegetic sound was very much diegetic, and uh, at least at least the lead piano was all the other backing instruments. You really can't justify that. Yeah. But uh, he's dreaming about a unicorn. Yeah, a white unicorn. A white unicorn, and I went, "Oh, it's the unicorn!" And then I went, uh, and "Then you're telling me apparently it was a uh, chicken and a guy with an erect penis." Because you yeah. were you were too afraid to use the word, so I will. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So we're not quite there. Uh, maybe it wasn't a unicorn. Maybe it was someone with a very strange appendage on their head. Maybe that's what that was. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he he received this this uh, his daydreaming, and he has this memory <sighs> of a white unicorn, which will come out later. But we also see there there's a there's a focus on. Uh, the a lot of pictures that he has, old pictures that he has in his house, black and white pictures. Um, he has a piano, and that's something that maybe we can comment towards the end. But but it, I think it, the arrangement of his apartment, the decoration, uh, all that is important and, and sort of um, sets the the what is going to be the, the the main thesis of the film. So this is why I bring you on because I didn't pay any attention. I'm such 
I'm such a story dialogue guy that some the camera I'm all set. Set design gets by me so much. No, but but uh, in all fairness, I mean this is probably the fifth or sixth okay, time that I've seen enough. this film. So so uh, maybe the first time, second time around, it went. <laughs> uh, he then faffs about with a photograph forever. Yeah, forever. <laughs> and hence, oh, and hence. Geez. 45 to the right. Skip like, like right and zoom out. Oh, my like word. The episode. <laughs> oh. yeah. it, it's, it's one of the uh, one of the pictures that he found in, in Leon's house. Yeah. He started just enhancing and enhancing. And he realized that there's, there's like a, a 3D quality to the picture, which I found. Uh, they don't delve that much into it. But he likes, uh, it's like, if it was a 3D picture, like he can, he can turn around on it, yep. and he realizes he, he spots the woman uh, with Leon in the picture. Yeah, and it's got something to do with a shard he found at Leon's apartment. I literally wrote yep. in my because before this point, I literally wrote brackets. Carlo, any ideas? Because I had no clue <laughs> what we're talking about. But then we found I, out he thinks I, I had written. I had written in, in my notes. I written in uh, in question marks fingernail. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but he thinks it's fish it turns out not fingernail because dialogue's not important to help us realize things yeah um but no it's not fish it's a snake scale snake scale yeah yeah a finest quality derek sorry derek deckard then interrogates a guy behind a glass divide the camera's kept on one side of this market and he's on the other side and i don't think this did what they wanted this to do i i think this was supposed it, it felt like it separated me too much from the action i'd rather actually go in and see him rough him up um it it sort of disempowered the moment for me yeah it, it it's it's a quick scene but but yeah i mean there there's there's that there's that divide and i think i don't think that any of the two he, he questions two people he questions the one that made the snake which yeah. is, is uh ben hassan guy he was, he's the one that created the the snake and remember that animals uh are, are fake for the most part yep. and then he questions another guy that that's uh the one he sold the snake to yeah um and, and i don't think that any of those questions they, they go quick really fast they, they go really fast so uh but but it's just a, a brief amount of time it's not like we spend a lot of time with them no agreed but we got to talk about taffy for a moment which is the guy yeah. who's named who uh this guy's in the wrong movie they told this guy <laughs> what is it almost oh, like a noir film he's like oh i gotcha hey it's a dame see <laughs> his, his voice is, is very like old school gangster 1940s kind of kind of film and he's completely in the, he's so he's such an outlier to everybody else in this film and they filmed his scene in one take oh i believe it <laughs> which yeah. is unusual for ridley scott because ridley scott likes like like t- 10 take kind of kind of stuff here he's similar yeah, to yeah. uh what's his name oh the guy who did aliens three look you're getting all your aliens like fincher. Here. no fin- yeah. fincher is fincher. an exaggeration fincher does uh 60 70 90 yeah. takes fincher is like yeah. let's do this now let's do this now let's do this now let's do this yeah shout out to our like, uh, episode yeah and who was the one that that uh you were talking in your one of your past episodes um no it, it wasn't you sorry uh, um oh. it was uh film effect uh kubrick Kubrick is oh, okay. another one that liked to do a, a lot of shots, a lot of takes. Sorry, 
Um, we go to the cantina. I mean, nightclub. Uh, it felt very, very much feelings of the cantina scene from Star Wars. I mean, it's, if, if it wasn't that it's Harrison Ford, of course it wouldn't be, but it's there. You think about it. He FaceTimes Rachel. So we got that part right. And by 2019, we'll, yeah, be, we'll, yeah. be, we'll be video calling everybody. Um, and then he invites her for a drink, but she hangs up on him and he continues to drink until he comes across Zora. Yeah. Played by Joanna Cassidy. She's a showgirl. He pretends to be from some union protecting the talent against lewd advances from management. Uh, it's clear she's not buying any of this. He goes like, he's conducted like, like nerdy voice. And he's like, oh, you'd be surprised what guys would do to get a glimpse of a beautiful body. <laughs> yeah. She's like, no, I wouldn't. It, it, it's one of the, one of the, I think one of the few moments in the film that you can see uh, a bit of spunk in, in Deckard because most of the time he's just like um, monotone, um, just uh, kind of a business. And, and this is one of the few times that you see him like uh, pretend to be alive, which again goes to, to the theme of the other film. But Yeah. Or I should be a cop. I don't know. It was just, it was kind of cool to see him actually interact with people. Um, she, yeah, she yeah. has this pretty cool hair dryer. And then there was just like a lot. What should we do? Let's make her topless. Why? <laughs> because it's 1982 <laughs> and this is what we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, you know, she's, she's a sort of a, of a stripper dancer. So, yep. Yeah. Um, is this a real snake? Of course not. Could I be working in a place like this? Find a real snake. She goes, so who do I go to if I'm being exploited? He goes to me. And she's like, wow, you're dedicated. She goes, well, then dry me. And then she beats him up. And yeah. uh, she would have killed Deckard if it wasn't for the interruption by the other girls. Um, that's timely. Um, Deckard chases her through the streets and chase him. Maybe tries to locate her might be a better call. He's got his gun drawn, and no one cares. No one's <laughs> reacting to the man with a gun. Not a single person goes, oh, no, and moves. It goes, ah, nothing. It's just a guy with a gun. Um, and I remember, here was the bit where I had an effect. I could swear this woman was topless with the sheer coat on as she gets shot. But I went back and checked the original theatrical cut. I looked for I could not find this, but I would swear this was a thing. But the the I don't remember the theatrical cut, but this whole scene where where she, where he eventually uh, shoots uh, Zora and kills her, and that scene where she's running through the glasses and and and, and dying, that whole that whole scene was uh, reshot in two thousand seven or two thousand something for the final cut, and Joanna Cassidy came back uh, even. 20 years later, 25 something years later to film the scene. Um, and, and, and they redid that whole thing. I mean, she, I, I read that she was even ecstatic that, that she could fit in her clothes, uh, even 25 years later. Yeah, that's right. So we, maybe there was something to that. Uh, I, I tried. I couldn't find it. Uh, I don't know if it's been what I, uh, cause I swear I remember, I remember in high school, we used to have these air bands. You know, you, you, you know what an air band is? Uh, and I air, know what an air guitar is. Well, it's kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. So an air band is when you play a song, and then theoretically you're supposed to an air band performance is when you pretend you're performing the. Okay. But eventually they became. My high school used to do it, and eventually they became much more sort of high concept than than than, than what it was. 
Um, I remember uh, me and my friends did time warp from the Rocky Horror Picture Show, <laughs> where basically we just we just did a lip sync, but still like costumed up, like we were not a band at all. We were just doing a lip sync to the thing. But I remember the one year there was a group of friends of mine who did this video. Uh, and I mean, like they went completely a different direction. They like they like edited like four minutes of footage uh, from various uh, films to um, I think it was like oh I don't want to say it might have been like System of a Down. It might have been before that. Uh, I'm trying to think of who was really big before that. Nine Inch Nails. That's probably who it was. Okay. A Nine Inch Nails track. And it started off like Mufasa being thrown off the cliff. And then you had this as part of it. And there was some, they put like a prisoner jumpsuit on a kid and put a hood on his head and like hung him from the ceiling. And he was spinning around. And they're taking bats and destroying like old school computers on the stage. And I remember watching it from the crowd going, oh, these guys are all getting expelled. Like, I <laughs> like we got in crap for doing rocky horror because they thought it was overtly sexual i'm like if you didn't like us these guys are done <laughs> i still have no idea how they avoided it but it was a it was it was a moment but i remember one of it was the the sheer woman in the coat and i swear she yeah, was yeah. topless when she got shot but maybe i'm missing something i'm gonna keep looking <laughs> If you're out there and you remember what I remember, get a hold of me. It's burned into my slightly pubescent psyche. I don't know. Yeah, maybe someone can join you in that Mandela thing. No, but I, I don't remember. Since I don't, I barely remember the theatrical cut. Uh, I, I, it wasn't the first one I saw. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. So of course uh, he shoots her in the back. <laughs> yeah like 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 a gentleman would um and then he's he's torn up about this and he goes to the uh goes to the bar before i move on fully um that snake that was the fake snake that was actually joanna cassidy's personal pet yeah 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 um there's a budweiser sign in the in the distance if you look at it just carefully and he asks every bartender had to have a thing this one was the, i got an eye patch yeah, probably the, the, uh, a way to establish a different character. Yeah, and so Gaff staring at him as he's having his his he's got a bottle of drink, and uh, Gaff's just staring at him like if this is supposed to be part of the uh, part of the overall sort of thesis of the film. I'm like, I, I get it, but you come on really strong here. And if it's about empathy, like dude's got empathy for for, for nines. I mean, he's definitely taking this negatively and uh, this is where uh, bryant the chief comes back and says or maybe it's gaff who says you almost look as bad as that skin job you left on the street and they tell yeah. him just one more to go and i'm like he goes no three and i'm like i'm entirely with deckard what do you mean one there's clearly three to go still yeah i i i think there were originally there was supposed to be like six uh replicants and they were two that were two died and brought to four yeah yeah. And, so according and, to the briefing that we see, it's four, and now yeah. one's dead, so that would be three. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know why, what's going on there. That's that's my thing with this film. There's a bunch of things where I'm like, you're trying to be deep and interesting, or are you just you just making mistakes? I don't know what it is. Um. So uh, we hear that Rachel has done a runner. She's not where she should be anymore. And then I'll tell you where she, she's literally right across the street. That's where Rachel is. <laughs> yeah. Like we we see her go missing for about as long as Chewy in the in the in the Rise of Skywalker. Oh no! What's that? Oh, there she is. There it is. Okay, we're good. 
<laughs> yeah, but but um, they they imply that, that he has to get rid of her as well. Um. Okay. Okay. Uh, and Sir Leon, he wants to know. So he's he's going after the after Rachel, and then Leon shows up, and Leon wants to know how long he lives for, or how long he lives. And it was four years. It was more than you, and they're destroying and painful to live in fear, isn't it? And there's something really interesting I want to talk about with the idea about mortality, and maybe that's got to come across a little bit later. Uh, when we're wrapping up the whole thing, but it's a really interesting theme about knowing when that date comes versus living in because because in in essence we 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 all have a computer screen with with with, with a date we don't know what yeah. it is but we don't have access to the person who would so we choose to live our lives more or less in willful ignorance of the fact that that's coming whereas if you know there's a finite time and someone can tell you and it's an exact thing. Uh, what does that mean? And so it, it, I think we see elements of that brought up when we get more into. Uh, yeah, definitely. Robot friend guy. But uh, yeah. Um, so there's a big fight. Uh, Deckard's having his, his backside handed to him and he goes, wake up. Yeah. <laughs> Time to die. And then I think he's shot through his head by Rachel. Yes. Yes. And I don't know how it exits his head without catching Deckard, but it doesn't. So giddy up. Yeah. Great shot. <laughs> Would this have been more effective if we hadn't seen her? I don't. I, I don't know. You know that the, the, when I rewatched it um, a couple of nights ago, uh, I, I didn't notice Rachel. Oh, did you not? Uh, oh, okay. Across I did, the street. Yeah. No, no. Uh, so, so she's got a very uh, distinct hairstyle and coat that kind of comes yeah. out. Like, yeah. <laughs> then again, I already knew what was going to happen. That's so, true. So That's it's true. not. It's not that it caught me by surprise, but but. Uh, I didn't really notice, so maybe somebody else didn't notice it, but uh, it depends, maybe. Um, yeah, I, I would have had root. I would have said, "Look, she's gone for a runner," and then I wouldn't have shown her and just had him walking home and have the same attack. And then this means something as opposed to, "Oh, there you went. We saw you two seconds ago. Thanks." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So. Um, he goes hey he takes rachel to his house and he goes hey it's just part of the business right and she goes i'm not in the business i am the business which was a great line yeah yeah um i've, I've already talked about my theme of mortality kind of comment here so deckard goes and rinses the blood out of his mouth and she asks him if i go north what will happen would you hunt me there and he goes no i wouldn't i owe you but somebody would. someone would yeah yeah She's curious. Yeah, yeah. She's curious about her inset date. He says, "I don't have that information. I've got the access to it, but I can't." And that would be frustrating. I, someone knows, but not me. And shouldn't I be the one who knows this date? So how come you get to know, but I don't? Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to know, but I would bug me if someone else knew. I don't know. I, I think it's better not to know. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. It's like you ever seen Big Fish? yeah definitely big fish is great love it uh anything yeah. with human gregor and generally gets a pass from me uh life less ordinary not so much but uh i, I like big fish and and that's even with me and i i i really don't like tim burton but the whole gimmick being um the the, the old man as he tells his story the witches tell him how he dies and so every day where he's not in that situation he goes i know this isn't how i die so here i go that would be incredibly yeah, yeah. freeing <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can go on yeah um so uh, she asks if he's ever taken the test himself but he doesn't answer because he's about to be out cold with some booze or so we're led to believe yeah. anyway 
and maybe that's part of again our willful ignorance towards our own mortality maybe that's the theme i'm going for here uh she looks over his photographs interesting and then plays his piano and lets her hair down as the saxophone the saxophone scores very you're just too good to be true i was listening for it after the first phrase i went you're just nicking this vangelis is what you've done um it's very very 80s yeah this is where we found out that he dreamt music and she goes oh i didn't know i could play he says you play beautifully Go yeah, ahead. She says she says she remembers lessons, it, and it goes to that thing that they gift them yeah. with, with memories. And she says, "I remember lessons." And she says, "I don't remember if they were mine or or from Tyrell's niece, because we we learned earlier that the memories that she had uh, uh, um, inserted were from Tyrell's niece." Yeah. I uh, uh, kisses her. She walks away. He stops her from leaving the apartment. This is where I start to go. <laughs> Ooh, this yeah, is this, tricky. this is a rough scene. Yeah, it's yeah. a rough scene. Um, he uh, so he then shoves her. She doesn't look impressed. More on that in a moment. And then he he at first I looked to see because he raised his hand and I looked to see if it was like a backhand or a four. It is a forehand, so I think it's more of a stay chill, not not a threat. I don't think. Although if you want to tell me it is, I wouldn't fight you on it too much. Uh, and then he says say kiss me she's like well she's say kiss me and then say i want you oh this was a hard scene liam would have fought me on this this had this had this had this had rocky memories going through my brain my 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 reasoning here uh and and i wrote this in my i wrote is this because she's a replicant yeah he feels he has ownership over her yep uh i i think that's the thing i think that he wants to um or, or, or it's it's the common thing that you know we we take control of this. That's why they were built. So I think there's something to that in, in here. Yeah, that's 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 all I could get myself. It's again go- humanizing. You know, you 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 have no agency over yourself. You know, you're you're a robot. You're an android. Yeah, I was just. I mean, I talked about Westworld before, but there is kind of like a similar concept where there's machines that are dressed up with like to look like humans and you know okay. the humans use them for what they want to use them for and this is yeah you, because you're this i have the right to do this because you don't have you don't have the i guess you don't have the capacity to consent you're because you don't have the capacity yeah. to not consent it's a weird one yeah you're a machine yep um so then uh when deckard stopped rachel from leaving and pushed her the expression of pain and shock was real sean young said that harrison ford had difficulties playing the scene with her and had pushed her too hard however when he saw how angry she was he mooned her to break the ice that doesn't play that well either in 2022 (laughs) well well but at least you laugh it was a different time um back to pris she's given herself a makeover and uh, jf sebastian seems to be enamored then again he lives with rats and creatures he's created himself so this has got to be a win and we find out yeah. his issue he's got a defect he, his his yeah. glands grow too old too quickly so he looks he's just 25 but he looks much older than 25 yeah uh, yeah the actor is the actor is 30 something um but but he looks he's, he's a bit aged he has like wrinkles and, and he looks older than he is Okay. Uh, enter Roy, who kisses Pris, and JF's heart probably broke. He was, I think he was quite smitten. Um, Roy mentions how there's only two of them left now, 
and uh, she says well we're stupid and we'll die and he goes no we won't no we won't uh sebastian asks to show them to show him something after figuring out oh you're replicants what generation are you and they kind of go look we're not we're, we're, we're not we're not a jukebox we're not you know yeah, we're, we're not here computers. for computers yeah we've we've got we've got agency we've got we've got the ability we've got will i think therefore i am um yes. and so it's interesting to see kind of raw uh, sorry um jf sebastian go through this process of what that means um but they find out sebastian realizes he's the conduit by which roy can get to tyrell i mean yeah and, there's, and, and there's they, a, they they establish that 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 they have the same problem. They both yep. have a short lifespan. You know, you, you're growing old because you can, of your illness, the, you can the empath- Methuselah syndrome. You might be the yeah. only one here who can empathize with our situation. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's a weird three-person sexual energy going on in that scene, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, we go to the Terrell Corporation because it turns out Sebastian's been playing chess with um, Terrell. Tyrell. Yeah, has only lost, only beat him once. Sorry, uh, but he gets help yeah. from Roy to win the game. Thankfully, he was just two moves away from checkmate, or else that might have been a more difficult thing to do um, yeah. via voice communication. Terrell then invites him up, and I'm like, I don't care if you beat me at chess. It's not like I'm inviting you into the bedroom at three in the morning or whatever it is. <laughs> and Terrell sees uh, Roy and says, "I'm surprised you didn't come here sooner." And he goes, "Well, it's difficult to meet your maker." Yeah. Um, Roy wants time and then finds out all the and, and so like you know Roy's a super intelligent dude but even with him and, and his maker they can't they can't figure out a way to work around the issue your time is up yeah there's no way in which we can try and fix this where you don't die yeah yeah uh, it, it's th- this is probably my favorite scene this this whole exchange is probably my favorite scene in the whole film um and it's that it's that what he calls and that meeting your maker and, and what do I do with that time? Um, and, and you can see that how Roy, even though you can dismiss him, he's a robot, he's an android, he has studied, he's smart, he has studied, he, he's saying, but what if you do this? And he said, no, but, but if we do this, it's going to happen, this, this, and this, and they said, but what if we try this or that? So you can see the, uh, the, the struggle for survival, in, in him, um, which is obviously the, the, the main theme. I, he doesn't want to die, and who wants to die? And, and, and if I can do anything to extend my lifespan, well, I'm, I'm going to try my best to do it. And, um, and, and this meeting with him, uh, there's a quote, I don't know if you, you're going to get to it, but uh, the Tyrell quote, and maybe it goes to what we were talking about. Um, he says, the light that burns twice as bright burns half as long. And you have burned so very, very brightly, Roy. Uh, that that that's my favorite line in the whole film. It, it, and it goes to to the thing that is not the length of your life; it's the quality of how you live it. And, and he's literally saying, I mean, you may have a four year lifespan, but what you have lived through those four years is it's, it doesn't compare to anything that any human has lived. And there's a weird sense of pride from Dr. Terrell in talking about this and almost like Roy's accomplishments are by, by, by distinction, uh, his accomplishments as well. Cause he, he is yeah. the creator, right? Exactly. Um, Roy then kisses Dr. Terrell before games of throning him to death. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He kills him by crushing his head and eyes. Oberon Martel says, what up? Um, yeah, <laughs> there, there's a there's a lot of 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 um, uh, Christian and, and religious 
uh, subtext here. Not even subtext. I mean, here is pretty much laid in front of you. Um, the thing about the maker, um, Roy calls Tyrell father. Yep. Um, Tyrell calls him the prodigal son. Um, yep. he, he, Roy shows regret and shame for doing quote unquote questionable things. Yep. Like looking for the forgiveness of his maker. Yep. And he, uh, Tyrell just dismisses it. Um, and, and another quote that I like a lot is that, uh, Roy says, nothing the God of biomechanics would have led you in heaven for. So there, there's a lot of, of religious subtext here, uh, that, that is very much put up front in this scene alone. It's about to get kicked into overdrive in the rest of this film. I got news for oh, you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So then Sebastian runs away as the red-eyed owl looks on. We get a red sensor in the elevator on Roy's escape. And I don't know. I read a part, came across a piece of research that suggested that it wasn't a clear father, but it was halfway through father and fucker. I didn't hear that at all. I heard a very clear, distinct father. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I read, I read the same, but, but yeah, maybe, maybe they, they, like they said, for the, for, for a, uh, a cleaner cut, they. Maybe the idea was the cleaner cut was for TV. Like we saw the cut that was meant for a, like released on a film. I don't, I don't yeah. buy into it. No. <laughs> I should have ignored it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Deckard almost gets arrested until he doesn't. Man, this was the nicest thing. Hey, we're here to. Uh, cops like, I'm here to arrest you. And he goes, look me up. And he goes, okay, you're cleared. Have a good one. And he drives off. I'm like, that was quite civil. Um, he calls Sebastian from his car and Pris answers before hanging up. Uh, Deckard goes up, but as he goes by, he walks by a two picture movie house. So that's things about 2021 that got wrong. Number three is the idea of a two, two screen movie houses would still be a thing. A double header. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he enters Sebastian's house and after what feels like forever, of him looking around as the light swoops through and he goes up all the stairs. He finally comes across um, uh, what looks like a, a lair of a villain from like the TV Batman because it's very kitschy. Color everywhere. Deckard's creeped out. He's right. Uh, instantly, I was able to locate Press. I'm assuming you were as well. Yeah, yeah. So we get to sort of do that whole thing. Don't go there. Don't go there. But then she's right there. She's right there. But then uh, she destroys him in a highly sexualized fashion. She's got her, you know, doing but long before Black Widow. We had Daryl Hannah doing this. Yeah. And, or Goldeneye also. Yes, that's true. And legs around the head. And she dikes her fingers and like, like bowling balls him up his nose. And then yeah. for some reason, she lets him go so she can do the big gymnastic WWE cartwheelie type thing. Now, I, I know it's it's a plot point by which we get to go. Well, this is where he gets to shoot her. But this felt like you had him. Is is this just her being like legitimate early, which is we'll do something stupid and then we'll die? Is this is this what this is? She wasn't smart enough to finish the job. I, I don't. She she does. Um, earlier when they were talking with Sebastian about um, how they were, uh, you know. Uh, I think, therefore, I am. Yep. She she does she does a cartwheel like a way because yeah. Sebastian is Sebastian is asking them to you know do something do like a trick you know and that's when they tell him uh, you know we're 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 not we're not a, a, a jukebox like I said we're not computers we're physical um, so maybe it's a way of her to to not in the same conversation but maybe to prove uh, her humanity or do 
I know something like like she did with Sebastian. I don't oh, know. Break his arm or something first, and then do your cartwheels. <laughs> Jeez. It just felt like she had him. She knew her job was to kill this guy. And then just, yeah, yeah. the movie said, you know what would be cool? Let's get her doing some flippy stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's it's weird. But yeah. yeah. Um, and so um he shoots her and the first time she starts like writhing around screaming and so he fires twice more to finish her off and i'm like where's roy if this whole thing's because you had the phone call you knew he was coming over where's roy or is this that and the correct answer is this is the early 1980s ian where we have to you know deal with villains in reverse order of importance yeah. until we get to the final <laughs> and unfortunately as much as there might be a romantic relationship between these two she's also the second most important baddie and so she's got to die and then we have to go to the boss level yeah yeah um Roy comes back and go, I thought he was going to chase Deckard, but he doesn't. He goes back to kiss Pris and mourn her a bit, at which point Deckard shoots and misses. And Roy's got a great point. He's going and kind of questions his morality and goes, you're just going to shoot me in the back unarmed. Is that really <laughs> what a good person does? Yeah. And, and that's what he did with, yep. with Zora and, and yep. um, not that, so much with Leon. Cause yeah. Yeah, yeah, but but that questioning of, of what is moral, what is not, it, it's, it's a big deal, and mainly in this this final act. Um, and so then, uh, oh, what do I have here? Oh, his hand comes through the wall and grabs the gun. Like, dude, just knows where he is. Yeah. it's a bit understated. He grabs a finger for Zora, breaks a finger for Zora, and he breaks a finger for Pris. I guess Leon doesn't count because he didn't kill Leon. Um, exactly. and he wasn't unarmed but still and then he's like i'm gonna give you a head start and then lets him chase away as he mourns pris a little bit more and i'm just kind of again going yeah it's it's a really weird cat and mouse game now i know this was apparently um um oh what's the actor's name i can't believe i've just forgotten it uh Dara Hanna? no who plays roy oh uh, rutger howard that's it rutger howard I was going to call him Rufus. I'm like, I'm no, I'm wrong there. Rutger Hauer. Yeah. Uh, apparently his idea originally was supposed to be just some, like just typical 1980s fight scene. And he kind of went, no, no, a chase is a better yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, and so we do the final chase and Roy stares at his hand and says, not yet. Cause we get this point of view shot of him sort of opening and closing his hand from his perspective. And the idea is trying to ward off, you know, eternity. And he grabs a nail out of the ground and pierces it through his hand in some serious stigmata, Christ-like yeah. imagery going on here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And apparently uh, to it, ward it, off death, you just got to wake up. It's it's a case of sleepiness. You got to wake up. Next time Liam's sleeping, I'm going to pierce his his hand with like a, with like some sort of sharp object. It's, it's uh, um, uh, uh, if we look at it, uh, um, matter of fact, it's, it's just a way to get a rush of adrenaline. You know, you, you pierce your hand or you do something to yourself so you get a rush of adrenaline and you can and you can uh, get a bit of extra so you can beat, uh, in this case, Deckard. Uh, but the, the obvious reason is is to have this uh, religious imagery, you know, to have the, 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 the nail through the hand. Um, Roy then does something Jesus doesn't do. He busts his head through a wall <laughs> in what feels like a horror film. And Deckard nails him with a pipe that takes two hands to swing. I've gotten my notes. I guess his broken fingers are okay now. Um, he, Deckard then goes through a window and starts to grasp the wall. I guess his broken fingers are okay now. 
He then free hangs from a ledge because his foothold gave way. I guess his broken fingers are okay now. Yeah, at least you can look that his two broken fingers no, were, were then. Were then, then they decide <laughs> as he's going to the roof. Yeah. We'll show you the splint and how he's struggling with three. I'm sorry, he's yeah. hit. no. There's no because even if you're not using them to help support, you're still banging them off. Things. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was, oh, I, you, I, I know. Oh, this was. I was like, okay, are the broken fingers a thing or not a thing? It turns out they were a little bit of uh, both. There was a great line from Rucker Howard where he goes, you hit me with a pipe, and that wasn't very sportsmanlike, I think he says. <laughs> but he smiles, which I'm like, oh, I really kind of like Roy. I, you know, I have written here, and, and uh, the, the, the whole editing of this last scene is a bit weird, uh, how the whole scene is constructed. You know, um, they're just running around the logistics of where they are. For some reason, Descartes is climbing like a wall, and then he gets inside a bathroom where, he, where, where um, um, uh, Roy breaks up the wall, but then they're on the roof. So it, it's, yep. it's a weird scene. It, it's, it's a weird scene, and, and uh, you're not really clear what is going on, where each of their characters is uh but well that that that's it yeah um so then it, it builds up towards this this elongated sort of chase scene and yeah. uh there's a, there's a jump that's got to be made and um so for the jump scene the stunt coordinator gary combs doubled for harrison ford and wore the same coat for continuity reasons because it's been raining all week they went all right we got to douse this guy in water and the problem is the coat is soaking all the water up so when you run and you jump the runs jumps can be made more difficult because your coat is heavier than when you probably tried it last time and so apparently the, the stuntman like eats it on that beam just yeah. eats it now i'm not gonna say that's why they so that's the part they kept in the movie now true i don't think the plan was necessarily that he was supposed to clear of a jump and they went let's do a bit where he hangs off the edge it's clearly that's not the case but i don't think he was supposed to eat it as much as he does on this it was supposed to be a little bit more <laughs> cleaner a, a cleaner grabbing of the of the beam which of course yeah. then rutger howard then you know he catches he catches up and jumps all the way over him um and roy rises all blonde and aryan and perfect and spotlit and backlit and angled and holding a dove yeah <laughs> which is some severe yeah. jesus imagery because the yeah. holy spirit descended upon jesus in the form of a dove at the mountain of transfiguration and this is my beloved <laughs> son and who i am well pleased so like we've got some severe jesus imagery going on right yeah. now this is this is his change of heart and, and going back to the, the stunt to the stunt scene but uh, i i believe i read that rutger did the jump that uh, the stuntman another stuntman tried to do the, the, the jump uh for rudger um and he he rudger house said you know if you can push the two buildings closer a yeah. bit closer I, I i can do the jump and i think he did the jump yeah because the, what was happening was there was about to be a strike um oh yeah yeah and so they've been shooting for like 25 hours straight trying to beat this deadline for the strike so everyone's tired no one's making anything they're exhausted they couldn't make the jump rucker howard does he goes home afterwards to his apartment or to his hotel room and he collapses on the floor 
Yeah. When he returns to set the next day after a decent sleep, the strike had been averted. And so he was able to finish the scenes properly. And that's where he comes up with the the, the monologue monologue. we're about to talk about. So he stares down victorious, the only diegetic sound being the struggles of Deckard. You don't hear the rain anymore. You don't hear it. You just hear the sort of grunting as Deckard's struggling. And super tight close-up on on Roy says, it's quite an experience to live in fear, isn't it? That's what it is to be a slave. And he smiles as Deckard struggles and then lets go. And in one of the great baby face turns of all time in film, which I did not see, the, the fact that Roy, not Roy, the fact that, that Deckard let go, I was like, what? I mean, the fact that he catches him, I'm like, double what? I, I, I can't get my head around this. And he grabs and he brings him up and he gives Rick the gift of more time. It, it, it's it's a uh, tied maybe tied with Tyrell's uh, scene, which I mentioned earlier. This is probably my favorite scene, and, and yeah. I love this monologue. It's it's a great monologue. When I typed in best scene, because I was looking for something that wasn't the speech, because I knew there was just scoring all underneath it for the intro. I'm like, it's without scoring, but I typed in best scene, and like every hit was just this speech. So, yeah. um, do you want to go ahead and sort of uh, and sort of read out the speech? It's not very long. No, no, no. It's, it's short. Uh, it's uh, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watch sea beams glitter in the dark near Tannhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in a rain. Time to die. And then he does. He calls his shot, and he does exactly that. Yeah. My only question for you, Carlo, is this. Does this feel a little inconsistent with the guy who's grieving the loss of what appears to be a romantic companion of someone? You know, is, is, I, is this I, a little too philosophical for what we just saw i think it, it's it's a moment of realization that you can't uh put it put in put in praise aside i mean i, I um it, it's a moment of realization that you just can't fight fate sure you just have to die you, you just there's he what, tried what movie is that from can, can't fight fate um I don't know. Oh, Terminator does it I know, odd, but. I know what it is. It's it's law abiding citizen. You can't fight fate. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Love that movie. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. It's a, that's a, a 90s classic. Yeah. Um, but, but, but yeah, I mean, you have to accept. And, and I, I even I've, I've read that uh, Roy goes through the, the, all the stages of grief um, through, through the film. I mean, he goes through anger. Uh, he goes through grief because you see him grieve Leon. You see him grieve uh, the questionable things that he has done. You see him grieve uh, Pris. Um, and then, then it's acceptance. Uh, this is his time of, of acceptance, that moment where he realizes, you know, I can, I can fight anymore. And, uh, but what I can do is prove that I'm really different, that I'm really, uh, and there's the question of humanity. Um, and he does what uh, we can say that Deckard didn't do with any of his companions. And, and uh, he proves that there's humanity in him in, in how he saves Deckard. I mean, he's not, he's not a, a, a utility. He's not a, a, a computer. Like he said, I mean, he's a, he's a human. Uh, so I, I, I like this a lot. I like, uh, 
like I said, put in Pris aside, and and I don't even put uh, a lot of weight in in his relationship with Pris. I mean, he's they were they were companions, yeah, but it's not like they were like uh, lovers, like all all time all together. If anything, I I saw more of a bond with Leon than with Pris, but but it's it's a really it's a really nice scene, and I like it a lot. Excellent, excellent. Um, what do we have here? Um, I've got it's just as he does. The score is beautiful, and the dove flies away. Um, obviously, uh, Rucker Hauer rewrote the, his character speech and presented them to Scott on the set prior to filming. Yeah. Um, he later chose the 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 sort of all those moments as the title of his autobiog autobiography. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. And then Gaff shows back up. And, and they sit there and they linger for a long time on um, on Roy, just sort of head down, dead. Uh, and he goes, you've done a man's job, sir. I guess you're through, huh? And then he goes, finished. And then something is thrown at him. I don't know what it was. I even looked to see what it was. What's he throwing at him? You have any ideas? Um, that Gaff throws him? Gaff throws something at him, yeah. I don't remember what it was. Okay, because I, I I went back, I rewatched it, I even Googled what does he throw at him. I couldn't find anything myself. But I'm like, if it's important enough for it to happen, it's got to mean something. But what is it? They didn't take anything off him as far as I can tell. It wasn't like, now that you're free, here's your stuff back. They didn't take anything. I literally don't remember anything about that there. Um but yeah he chucks something at him i have no idea he makes a big thud when it hits the ground in front of him so i have no idea what it is but such is um yeah i should look, I don't know if you're gonna look or not it doesn't matter really if anybody out there has any ideas let me know because i tried to find it um and he goes it's too bad she won't live but then again who does and so Roy's going yeah. home, so he goes, oh, I'm going to play the hits. I'm going to get my gun out and be all worried that Rachel's waiting for me because that's our thing. It's what we do. And she's under a blanket like you do when you, like, take a body out of a, uh, out of a, out of a crime scene. She's, or sorry, not a crime scene, but out of a, out of a hospital maybe. You'd, you'd, you'd put the blanket up over the face. And then uh, he lifts it up and he mourns her and he kisses her face and then her face moves and i'm like who sleeps like that who puts their blanket up over their face because i'm gonna i know she's a replicant but come on um he goes do you love me she goes i love you now he's not telling her tell me so there's growth here i suppose do you trust me i trust you as they leave she steps on an origami unicorn deckard stares at it and <laughs> Just in case you missed it, they're going to replay those last things in an echoed, reverbed sound effect here. Too bad she won't live. But then again, who does? There we go. And so, um, and that's where the movie ends. Now, this is where the movie ends if it's the final cut. If you do the original theatrical cut, we actually fade away to this snow-covered uh, landscape and Deckard and uh, is it Rachel? Yeah, Rachel are Rachel, dri- yeah. are driving, and then you have the voiceover go, and it really is as bad as uh, as we were told. It. 
<laughs> but he goes, that was the, I don't have the exact wording, but basically it's, yeah, yeah, they, they, he, they told me she was different. They were, the, the doctor told me that she had no expiration date. So that's the thing. So we're both waiting now. And so the idea being that it's flipped and that he's the one on the count, not her. And it's actually sort of pivoted the movie on its head. If you go with the first one where there is no unicorn dream and therefore we're reading this as he is human, she is replicant. How long can they be together? Well, she's immortal. We've just found out. So really it's about him. And if he's going to die and when that's going to be as a metaphor that we're all replicants in some way, shape or form, because we all have a date that we don't know what it is that is coming. Um, so, yeah, that is that is um, Blade Runner. Just on, 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 a, on a closing note before we close the deep dive, uh, director of photography, Jordan Cronenworth, was uh, he had Parkinson's while he shot this. And by the time that it was yeah. over, uh, he was in wheelchairs uh yes. and he said he was a trooper who did it all the way through the shoot till the end he did all the work and then you know he any shortcuts no one assisted him he did his job as difficult as it was he 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 finished the race so uh good job uh i just i just yeah. checked before we <laughs> while you were talking i i put i put i got to netflix and put the the, the film it's his gun that's what he throws it's, it's his, his gun. gun yeah yeah didn't, didn't he already have a gun yeah, he had it, but he dropped it in the fight. At, at some point, he and, dropped it in the and fight. And somehow this guy's picked it up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much crap that gets missed in this because of oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but it's his gun. I I, I can I could see it clearly. It's his oh. gun that he throws it to him. And so. in the theatrical version, the voiceover explains that um, Gaff had been to the apartment and he'd let her live. That's what that symbol was. That no one yeah. was coming for them. He had been there and he had let her survive. And therefore, love will yeah. find a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, the 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 big question. Uh, I don't know if you're gonna. If you're gonna uh, dive into that later, but the big question is: is, is Deckard a replicant? Well, uh, let's do that now. I was gonna do it after the the the, the end okay. game quote, but we can absolutely do. actually let me hit the button here because it'll let me cue that up, and then we'll okay. with that. So no, no, go 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 at your rhythm. Go <laughs> just just wanted to. We're in the end game now, and we are in the end game now. First thing I want to do, even before a random word, Carlo, is Deckard a replicant? <laughs> uh, and so uh, you, you want the, the the random word first? I, I tell you, uh, how random is this? Let's go ahead. Give me a random word. Go uh, no, with an easy one. Unicorn. Un- yeah, that's a good one. Unicorn. So yeah. unicorn. Two weeks from now, unicorn. We will not give this information on the Thor Ragnarok. I'll probably give out two gifts of the week awards. I have not thought this through. <laughs> but nonetheless, there will be two to do when we get together for whatever that movie will be. I almost said what it was. So there's that. So is Deckard a replicant? Um, there, there's... Uh, and maybe you have notes on this, but there's there's a, a bit but of a clash on. with 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 um, all the cast and crew. I mean, uh, Philip K. Dick, the writer of the story, the "Do Androids Dream of Electric Chip?" He wrote Deckard as a human. Um, the screenwriter Hampton Fancher, he wrote Deckard as a human. You know, he's a human. Uh, Harrison Ford and Rutger Hauer says no, Deckard is a human. Ridley Scott uh, says no, no, that he's okay with any interpretation, but then he says no, that uh, Deckard, in his mind, in his interpretation, Deckard is uh, uh, a replicant. And there are a couple of other uh, crew members, uh, the, the the visual designer, I think, that says that Deckard is a replicant as well. 
personally, I think that the unicorn thing is, is kind of seals the deal. Um, it, the, the way that that it it shows that that dream that he's having about a unicorn, Gaff knows about it. The, the fact that he knows about it, you know, these memories are inserted, like we said, and and he knows about it. If if we live in a if we live under the understanding that a dream is the same as a memory, yes, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm 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 okay with the ambiguity, and I like that that there's that clash because it goes even to to the to further the thesis of the film that not even the 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 people that are involved in the filmmaking can decide what is human and what is not, <laughs> and that I think that is that's really interesting uh, to the, to the point of the film where you can tell who is human who is not is Rachel human is Rachel not is who is a replicant who is not, uh, and the nature of this. Uh, creatures uh, is is Roy okay? Roy is a replicant, but is he less human than than Deckard? As a matter of fact, when you compare uh, Deckard and, and and Roy, you can say that Roy shows more humanity than Deckard mm-hmm. all through the film. Uh, like I said, the, the grief that he shows, uh, his his desire to live, his struggle to live. Whereas Deckard, you can see him just going through the motions. He's just he's just uh, slouching around. He's just um, there's there's there seems to be no life to him. He's just tired and he's just living his life. And and it it reminded me of 2001. I don't know if you've seen 2001. I have Stanley not. No. Oh, that, that, that's a great one. I, I would love to see the BFE doing that one. That would be an interesting <laughs> episode. Giant baby. But 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 um, in 2001, you have this computer, Hal, yes, which shows more emotion all through the film than the astronauts that are in charge of it. And, and it, it brings that question back of what, mean, what it means to be human, what it means to be... Uh, it, it, and there's a scene towards the end of that film which reminds me of this one where there is so much emotion in what happens to that robot, to that android. And, and I, I really like it. I mean, uh, you, you have this replicants that are showing so much life so much desire to live so much humanity and grief uh, and they are robots but like like tyrell says they can develop emotions so then again what it, what does it mean to be human i like that i right, i'm gonna go with it's a much more clever movie if he's a replicant um intelligent you go ah look at that oh i saw that oh that was brilliant oh she said oh yeah i saw that now all that stuff true it's a much better movie if he's human um because then you get to have your 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 conversations about mortality you get to have your conversations about what does it mean to and we have to extrapolate to ourselves otherwise like rutger hauer said you're just watching two robots fight each other and i'm 100 percent on board with that like this is supposed to be about there's something quintessential in the human existence and uh, the notion, as we've talked about already, thorn theme themes of mortality and what does it mean, and then themes of religion tying in, of course, the themes of mortality, because those two things are always going to be interlinked. And 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 what does that mean? And what does it mean when you realize you're 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 on the clock and you can do one of two things, and you, and you can fight and you can rage against it, or you can sort of accept that. As as luck would have it, I had a I, I was doing some work the other day. And I just turned on some music on my phone, some of which has been on there forever, and had on the Bluetooth. And one of them was this terrible Tim McGraw song. 
um, called Live Like You Were Dying. And it's a story, I think, based on a true story, but a friend of his who had a terminal diagnosis. And and Tim asks him, or at least the, 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 the speaker in the song asks him, so what do you do? And he says about all these sort of life-changing experiences he did. And a lot of it's like, you know, hey, I went to climb mountains and I, and, I, and, I, and I did some rodeo on a yeah. bull. But I also forgave people. And I spoke with more kindness. And, uh, and these ideas that we find our humanity once we realize it's about to be taken from us. And yeah. I think there is such a metaphor in that that if we turn it into it's just two, two, two robots fighting it takes that away and so as a result uh, I'm throwing a massive because I think it's a movie that was worried about how clever it was and I actually think um, I think I prefer it the way was maybe not the voiceovers but i prefer the structure of the theatrical version oh. more. <laughs> that's a hot take it is a hot take it is a hot take but i yeah. think that last scene is actually really important where you go all movie long we've been telling you here are the rules it's this it's this it's this and then surprise it's flipped and we're actually replicants in a world where she lives forever we're the ones on the clock and we can't find anybody to tell us when we're gonna die and i think that is absolutely just a, a whoa kind of moment. Yeah. And watching it, I remembered the drop and the catch. I remembered the girl, the girl with the, the, the sheer outfit. <laughs> and I remember, I do remember the scene with him driving and him explaining, we don't know how much time we have left, but then, yeah, who does? And I'm like, that's a perfect metaphor. Everybody walking out can go, I, you have the potential to look at yourself, your life, your partner, whoever, differently going out than coming in. Oh my God, what a movie that can do that. As opposed to, oh, he was a replicant too. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And all of a sudden now it doesn't apply to me. Yeah, I, I like I, I I like the ambiguity. I like that there is not a clear answer that the filmmakers, like I said, the filmmakers and the cast and the crew can't even decide what, what's the right answer. And and I don't want a right answer. I, I prefer to have it ambiguous ambiguously. And to I, I was going to say something to to the same extent that you said, um, I was watching the other day uh, randomly uh, American Ninja Warrior. American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> I was watching it, and there's, there's this young contestant. It's great. It's, was, it's, it's great garbage TV. It really is. Yeah, it's it's something that was precisely you know I yeah. sat with my wife just to have a a, a night snack, and we just, sure. just let's just, let's just post this, post this. And there was this kid that was competing that had a had a shirt that read "Living White." And it living wide as in wide W I D E. Okay. And um, it was because his father uh, got diagnosed with cancer, and and uh, obviously he was going to die. They gave him like I don't know how long, but he he uh, established this motto with his family. You know, we ha we have to live wide. It's not it's not the length of our life, but it it's not live long. It's live wide. That the death of of how we live, um, and. and I sort of mentioned that, and and it goes to what Tyrell says to to Roy. You know, uh, the the light that shines so bright uh, burns faster, but the light that the, how you have shined is more important. And when Roy shares those experiences that he had, you know, um, I. Uh, uh, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe, the uh, ships and sea beams and the townhouse or gate and all of that. Um, it goes to the amount of light that he lived and, and the fact that he's fighting so hard to keep on living. Um, it goes to that thing that, you know, uh, uh, yes, I want to live 
longer, but I want to extend this these experiences that I've had. And uh, like you mentioned, when we find out that you know we're gonna die, we make this bucket list. I want to do this and this and this and this and this, and and we learn to milk the quality of those years, yeah. those last years that we're gonna have. Like you said, and and when you contrast it with Deckard, which like I said, is just secluded in his home and just in the street eating noodles and and you compare it is he living is he alive is he living his life it's, it's not until he he has this uh, a meeting with fate that he's about to die that he realizes you know I, I have to seize this moment and then he takes rachel and he goes with her and, and he decides to live a different life a totally different life something that he probably wouldn't have done if he'd hadn't had this chance this this meeting with with fate with with uh, almost dying um so i think i, I think it, it brings up those questions uh to the foreground i think it's really important and really uh, i like how it does yeah um it feels very difficult to pivot on this top of the financial success of the film but it's what we do here so <laughs> yeah the financials 30 million dollar budget in your research did you look up how much this made uh no no only about 41 and a half, 41.6 million dollars. Uh, it's all about timing, isn't it? And we mentioned 40 year anniversary. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned ET also 40 year anniversary. And so, you know, they released this basically up against the thing, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Conan the Barbarian, and ET. So, um, it was, you want to talk about like 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 a two screen picture house? I mean, you know, good luck getting on the bill. I mean, it was one of those things where if you're going to see something and ET's not budging off that one screen, I mean, it's 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 not like today where you've got unlimited choice. So there yeah. we go. Um, two Oscar nominations didn't win anything. Um, both for like um like art direction and visual effects. Golden Globe nomination for Evangelist for the score, which. Yeah, I like the score. I I, yeah. I think no, yeah. no issues there. Eight BAFTA nominations, two wins, one for cinematography, one for production design. And that kind of speaks to what this film was in many ways, which was it was actually regarded much, much higher, it seemed, in international markets than it was domestically at first. And I wonder if, as a side effect of what I thought was a lot of staring and a lot of looking around and a lot of nonverbal, I wonder if it allowed the film to actually resonate without the, 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 the language barrier being as profound, actually, because a lot of it was inferential and that also speaks to i think fairly universal themes of life and death and mortality and god and these are all things that maybe other cultures are more more willing to have a conversation about and be a little less taboo about i don't know but uh it definitely uh resonates true throughout the years uh both uh both then and of course now um it was a massive um influence for if you're interested in Battlestar Galactica it was uh, the same tone um the movie sorry the music and the dialogue in this film has been sampled in music more than any other film of the 20th century which is okay. nuts. And then the logos of Atari, Bell, Coca-Cola, Cuisinart, Pan Am, and RCA, Budweiser, amongst others, were all prominently displayed as product placement in the film and all experienced setbacks after the film's release, <laughs> yeah. leading to suggestions of a Blade Runner curse. Yeah. So I don't know how long after this, Coke decided new Coke was the right idea, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, just a, a really interesting little little tidbit. I saw a lot of Sixth Sense in this movie. 
Uh, if it's the idea that, you know, oh, he doesn't know he's the thing he's tracking, I'm like, absolutely. Uh, I saw a lot of Inception in this movie where you're going, you know, is the trick on him? Is he part of the trick? Is he not part of the trick? I think from storytelling beats the idea that our protagonist who's searching for something is has this very same thing themselves, but we're not going to address it. I think both those films could lend themselves to that I, I usually want my whole who would you cast as who thing i have no idea who i would try and play <laughs> in this film um none whatsoever i'd probably end up going for who's who's a little jp whatever his name is i'll be him sebastian yeah yeah i'll go for <laughs> yeah. him i'm not manly <laughs> enough to play any role in this film <laughs> Liam can be Deckard. Liam thinks he'll be Rucker Howard. Liam, Liam would be Deckard. Is who he would be. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I, I was going to say so. I should do, <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, one, one, one thing you mentioned uh, that it was an inspiration for Battlestar Galactica, and uh, Edward James almost who plays Gaff was the lead in Battlestar Galactica. Listen, the the oh, right? two thousand, yeah, in the two thousand. Uh, Revival. because there, yeah. there's a Battlestar Galactica from the 80s uh, and there there was a revival in 2000 and Elder James almost was the lead oh very cool um I mean whose story is it I guess I mean it's ooh, it's probably Decker's story Deckard's but you can make a case for me that it's Roy's yeah, Roy yeah I, I, I we can make a case about both yeah yeah um Role of women. So first, what is the story? I mean, we talk about what the story is uh, to, to, to death, I think. Uh, role yeah. of women. Uh, mm. I mean, not good, not good. Uh, well, we have three women and th- the three women are replicants. So we can, we can put that also. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's not a quote unquote real woman uh, in the film. And I think all three are, are very different. Uh, so I don't know. Um, I think the Rachel thing is, is the, 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 the shakiest thing, the, the, the one that's more problematic, maybe. Um, even though I think it serves a purpose. Uh, but they, they, all, they all show some, some level of agency in controlling their fate. I mean, Rachel uh, sheds away that... that um, let's say program that she's supposed to follow and she runs away and, and eventually uh, well finds Deckard and, and, and goes away uh, to, to start a new life, something that, that wouldn't have been the case if she had stayed with Tyrell. Um, and maybe the same can be said about, about Pris and, and, and Zora. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think the women are, and they're all just here to advance the plot, really. Um but then again, I think most characters, with the exception of two of them, are here to advance the plot. So yeah. I think what you've got is you've got Deckard and you've got Roy. You could argue you've got, um, what's his name, who runs the company? Doc Tyrell. Tyrell, yeah. Um, so maybe you got three, but everybody else is just there to move the plot along. So yeah. I'm okay with it in the sense that, yeah. You know, the majority of the characters are supposed to care about are replicants. So the fact that three yeah. of them are women, I'm I'm okay with that side. Uh, and I we have talked about the Harrison Ford scene where he prevents her from leaving. I think you have to look at it through the lens of he's treating her like she's subhuman because that's how society's told him to treat yeah. replicants. So there we are. Uh, best character, favorite character? Uh, my favorite, Roy. Definitely. 
Yeah, I'm totally with you. I'm going to go Roy, absolutely. I I was sitting there going, why was I so, like when I was 14, 15 watching this, I'm like, why was I so universally, maybe it's treated somewhat differently. I didn't watch the full theatrical cut again, but I was so against him, so against him, like he was a horror <laughs> villain. I'm like, this guy, I, I don't even see why, like you're telling me, the only thing he really does terrible that I get to see in the film is when he kills Dr. Terrell. That's it. Yeah. Everything yeah. else he's really quite reasonable about. Yeah, and it's not the thing that I've been talking about. You know, it, it's it's the most interesting character. It's the most that that the one that you see that that's trying to go against the flow and 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 uh, just wants to find a way to overcome whatever is coming from him, and eventually learns to accept it and and just goes with it and and does a, a, a good deed in the end. Yeah. What about a favorite moment or element? Favorite moment or element. Well, uh, my favorite moment, I just, I just mentioned it, aside of the ending, but, but my favorite moment is the meeting with Tyrell. I, I just love that scene. I, I think that's the scene where the, the, the themes of the film are more present, are more uh, put up front. It has my favorite quote, that, that quote from, from Tyrell, about the, how bright his light has shined. That's my favorite moment. But I want to give a, a, a shout out to the cinematography. Um, the, the use of light shadows, uh, those, those scenes in, in Tyrell's uh, penthouse or office with the the sun in the background, uh, when you see the pyramids and and the sh- the light is shining through windows, it just looks gorgeous. Um, one thing that I didn't mention actually, this is the first time that I see that I see the final cut, and it looks gorgeous. I, I, that's one of the things that Scott wanted to do. He wanted to polish the visuals, and it looks gorgeous. Um, so those scenes, the scenes in Decker's apartment with the the darkness and the use of the shadows and the light, I just love it. Even the scene when it where it opens with uh, Leon being interviewed by by Holden, where you see the framing of uh, uh, Leon on one side of the table and Holden on the other, and the the fan. Uh, it's just a great framing of the shot and to establish the two sides and and what's going to happen. I, I just loved it. Yeah, uh, for me, I'm probably going to go. I'm just queuing up my soundboard here. Um, I'm going to go with. Uh, I'll go from here. Moment's going to be the the um, the end portion on the roof. I mean, it's got to be, doesn't it? Everything from from where uh, Roy's made the jump and rises. Yeah, like 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 the great final boss he is, uh, all the way to, to yeah. the end of that scene where he's just sitting there, time to die. Um, powerful, powerful cinema. Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah. I mean, aesthetically, it's it, it looks it's it's a beautiful film. Um, I wish that meant more to me, <laughs> but visually, it is a beautiful <laughs> film without question. Uh, it's gorgeous, um, and it sets. I like that. It's I like that. It's beautiful in its ugliness yeah. because the 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 landscape is not pretty but but i mean even in those scenes sorry i mean but uh even in those scenes where you see like i said uh, you see the sun it's it's a um polluted uh sky it's a polluted sun but but it looks uh, visually it looks gorgeous sorry sorry no you're fine you're fine anybody's best role ever and for me i I had people have seen a few things so for me it's not (laughs) it's not harrison ford's best i've seen harrison ford on much better things yeah yeah um it's not like I've seen a lot of his films, but Rutger Hauer, I, I, I doubt that he, he did something. I've seen a few of his films, but okay. I think this is his best work. 
I would be surprised. I mean, he's excellent. Um, yeah. Uh, Daryl Hannah is she's good in it. Actually, I'll give her that. She's good in this. I'm trying to think she's better yeah, in anything else. I, I like her in. in uh, she wasn't Kill Bill. Uh, I like her in that. Um, is she really in Kill Bill? Yeah, yeah. The guy with the the, the girl with the patch, the the killer. Is that part one, one or part two? She's in both. Oh, is she? Oh, yeah. She's the one that that. I've, she, I've only the, seen. I've only seen part one. Oh, oh, okay. I only okay. saw part one because someone wanted me to be on their podcast. They you guested remember? me on, and then the day of, someone got sick and they had to cancel. So I've got, I've watched <laughs> number one, and I'm just sitting, we're sitting here waiting to do something with it. So yeah. Well, uh, you remember that uh, early in the film, um, Bill sends uh, a woman dressed as a nurse to kill. Uh, oh yes, yes, of course that's her. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, she has an eye patch. Yeah, uh, I like her better in Steel Magnolias. I think she's great in it. Yeah, she's Oh, you should. It's really good. Yeah, I know what yeah. this. Here's the, here's the thing. It's the least guy like movie. So guys who do podcasts generally yeah. don't watch films like Steel no, Magnolias. I, I don't mind that, but but I remember that when you did it, you, you said the same to me. You said oh, you, you have to see this. Um, it, it's it's on my it's on my plate. Okay. I, I, I will get to it All at right. some point. I have to do a theme of movie loot of southern southern. <laughs> <laughs> or tearjerker tearjerker well maybe i don't know yeah um what else we got here we've got up uh, i don't have the age game set up i don't i think we can pass you you, you gave us our age game an interesting fact earlier anyway so yeah no i, I don't have anything I, fine. I, I asked you if you'd sort of help fill in for georgia here and do a little uh talk about the the the, the critics so yeah, i have some here what do you got in critics corner good the bad and the ebes what do you got this week Okay, I have in the good, I have a guy called Saki Hassan, and he says, in a broad sense, Blade Runner may indeed have lied to us, falling short of the mark in, pre- in predicting some aspects of our sci-fi present. Uh, Deckard making a FaceTime call from a telephone booth and the continued existence of Pan Am and RCA being just some examples, while failing entirely to anticipate others. But we also see that it ultimately doesn't matter. The thematic keystone holding the entire thing together, the underlying question of what makes a person a person, is a timely today as ever and will remain so long past 2019 and let's see where's the bad one uh here's the bad one the bad one i have uh david david starrett okay david starrett says uh, the plot is ordinary and the sceneries have undermined it with a narration that even Ford considers foolish, judging from the way he reads it. Too bad the filmmakers didn't try to recapture the modest virtues of the Dick novel, which, despite many flaws of its own, has a humor and humanity that are nowhere felt in Blade Runner. Put it all together and it doesn't add up to much excuse for the vicious violence that breaks out increasingly as the final fade-out nears. And here we have Roger Ebert. Hey, Ebs. And Roger Ebert, I, I found two reviews, and I want to read at least a bit of both because I have a review that he wrote in 1982 when the film was released theatrically. And he said, uh, the movie's weakness is that it allows the special effects technology to overwhelm its story. Ford is tough and low-key in the central role, and Rutger Hauer and Sean Young are effective as two of the replicants, but the movie isn't really interested in these people or creatures. Um, 
The movie has the same problem as the replicants. Instead of flesh and blood, its dreams are of mechanical men. But then mm. he wrote another review in 2007, uh, probably when the final cut came out. That's 25 and years he, later, so yeah. Yeah. He had, get, he had given it three stars uh, in 1982, but in... Uh, for the final cut, he for the final cut he raised it to four stars. Uh, that's his highest mark, and he says, uh, "Okay, really, Scott is a considerable a considerable director who makes no small plans. He has the gift of making action on, on a vast scale seem comprehensible. I have been assured that my problems in the past with Blade Runner represent a failure of my own taste and imagination. But if the film was perfect, why has Sir Ridley continued to tinker with it and now release his fifth, his fifth version? I guess he's only human. <laughs> he writes so well. He is <laughs> such a good writer. We have, oh, we have lost so much with the oh, passing yeah. of Roger Ebert. That is so <laughs> well done. All right, uh, yeah, uh, the, I'll say this much: the original eighty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So take that as you will. Uh, I put out a fleece to our general uh, public to talk about. Where would you rank uh, Blade Runner? And in an overwhelming run, 61% call this a great film, a great film. Uh Whatever that means to you, um, let's start off with some of our Patreon backers. You can find us at patreon.com slash BFE. We get little moments like this here. So let's take a look. First off, Hermes, who says, one of the best sci-fi films ever, in my opinion. The aesthetic primed an entire generation to see and think differently about our about the future our place in it and how we truly define what this life really is the existential questions introduced me to as a child have carried even into today and will never cease to fascinate me it's what's beautiful about cinema and sci-fi as a genre this fifth chair doesn't have enough room for all my thoughts so i can't wait to blow up the twitter comment section with you all on this one guys winky face thank you very much hermes (laughs) uh then we've got We got Reverend Bruce who says, I saw Blade Runner in the theater when it first came out. When I was in school, I heard so many good things about it, but I was massively disappointed. It was bleak and dark, and I hated the constant gloom and rain. I didn't get it. To make matters worse, a couple of weeks before I saw it, a girl I was interested in school asked me out, and I went. She asked me out again, but this time I said no, because I'd already agreed to see Blade Runner with my friends and didn't want to disappoint <laughs> them. I never saw her again. I literally kicked myself and thought, you gave them a date with her to see this depressing movie? But about six months later, I started dating another girl at my school named Katie. Looks like things oh. worked out okay. But this was still a rough rewatch for me. I can see why this is a dystopian classic and it has elements of film noir, which I love, but compared to the dystopian Clockwork Orange, where I understand the story, Blade Runner is much more opaque. I still think I'm missing a great deal. I look forward to your thoughts. I probably need to give this another shot. Thanks, Reverend Bruce. Great story. Always a great story. Right? He's a storyteller <laughs> yeah. by nature. Uh, then we've got Julene. That's Julene. That's Julene. Julene. To be honest, I had a really hard time watching this film. Thought I would enjoy it. It was my first watch. and It just didn't age well. I'm going to try to be fair, but I don't know. I really did not enjoy it. And then finally, last one on the panel today. I need your help on this one, Carlo, because it's from Dwayne Smith. 
Dwayne Smith. Who says, I remember coming home from school one day and my dad was watching Blade Runner. I was mesmerized by the visuals, all the neon signs, futuristic cities, and the flying cars. Fast forward to 2017 and I watched the whole film, I think, for the first time before seeing Blade Runner 2049 at the cinema. It really holds up. Uh, sorry, totally holds up. Some of the special effects were a little dated, but the visuals and cinematography brilliantly immerse you in the world. Harrison Ford is the perfect cast in play Deckard, as cold as the replicants he is chasing, or are they chasing him? Or is he, in fact, one of them? This film is one of the all-time greats, and it has Ridley Scott's fingerprints all over it. It's a very important film for cinema. I'm giving it A, and we'll find out what that is in just a little bit uh i put out a fleece to the fledgling fandom uh we already talked about the numbers that it came back with but let's see what some of the comments have to say as i scroll on my phone with vigorous intensity here we go here so we've got chris peterson one of our patreon backers says been many years since i last watched it and not had time for a rewatch from what i can remember it was an average film at best we'll be listening to the pod when it drops thanks a lot step taylor says a film so iconic and ahead of its time that wrestling star sting and the ultimate warrior formed a knockoff road warriors tag team in the mid 80s called the blade runners with their individual names being blade runner sting and blade runner rock i remember this totally uh, not the idea that i was a fan at that time i was too young for that but i do know their backstory is they just basically it was the wild west back then you ripped off anything that was big in pop culture and they called themselves the blade runners and i guess it worked out okay for them in the long run just not with those names uh resident posty russell says i've only seen it once and despite the stunning visuals and howard's performance i found it slow and boring i'm sure i'll be in the minority wanted to rewatch to see if my opinion had changed but as usual life got in the way uh josh your next favorite movie who i have to give a shout out to because he's having us all back on for best month ever to a best month boogaloo and i recorded my session today uh with him so i know that's coming out in august so he's been very kind on having the whole bfe on one more time and he's even talking already about year three so we're 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 all in it to win it here josh thank you so much he says yeah equals ratings yes it equals ratings that's right Uh, i saw it once years ago and can't remember enough to give us a proper vote not even sure which cut i watched excited to hear carlo this week though so there you go um thank you josh capital games and movie club on yt it's a very long title i think it even cut you off on twitter said honestly no matter which cut you watch it's a well-imagined engrossing film i do prefer the final cut but even if you can't watch that version it's a movie to be experienced pedestrian at best says it's genuinely one of the most influential movies in its genre sure it's a little more style over substance i hear that and it's one that i can watch anytime and still appreciate its merits the original video game is also great i have not played it carlo have you played the game no no not that i remember (laughs) and then ray from being bookish says i prefer the book even if a title is just more dot 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 which we've already (laughs) talked Uh, so lots of feedback actually in the uh in the overall sort of stations to where things are and that now just i believe oh i've put down my sheet i have no idea where i'm headed right now I believe now we are headed to uh, our ratings. Our ratings. Carlo, as the get, actually, as you get ready for your rating, I realized I've got a bunch of thoughts from Ethan. So while you're thinking, let me just uh, get a hold of Ethan, who really, <laughs> really wanted to share his thoughts. Um, it's long. I'm still scrolling. It's really long. Uh, I'm going to try and uh, 
create a summary here or synthesize this down. What a beautifully horrifying movie about the fear of mortality told from the perspective of a machine. Ridley Scott has this wonderful ability to create a future that is both utterly fictional in its appearance and robot race, but also grounds it in such a realistic dystopian haze where cruelty and essentially slavery is rampant and squashed when no longer needed for the fear of free will getting in the way. Uh, Deckard's journey is one that Harrison Ford nails by being the bitter old man he plays so well. A job of taking down replicants aligns us so early on that they must all be bad and taken down so, or that they're lesser than humans. By the end, we really do learn how they're not so different behind the skin and parts. Uh, even when Deckard interacts with Rachel for the first few scenes, he almost looks past her, viewing her as lesser until he witnesses genuine emotions and changes his tune. And of course, Rucker Howard is just wonderful, and I'm captivated by every second he does by every action he does the second he's on screen but someone i often overlook is daryl hannah as press hey he said i'm with you on that one her performance is excellent because no matter how many times i watch this film i always pity her first appearance and immediately get floored by the change in attitude it's morbidly ironic that it's this film chosen this week when the sole theme is around powerful men choosing what happens to individuals own bodies and existences with no freedom which always leads to a fatal end Batty's line of I want more life father is powerful and still sorry that still in his final moments he has to beg and plead to his creator for a basic right everyone else gets him when it's clear he hasn't viewed anything he tears the plant from its root and chooses the only path left violence leading to just one person seeing the true nature and horror of the replicants uh i'm gonna go through favorite character was pris he mentioned that already favorite moment time to die will always be an iconically bittersweet line little grumble enhance 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 yeah (laughs) yeah did we talk about our grumbles actually carlo no no oh we should have oh my word all here's mine really quickly all the stuff they missed all the stuff that they decided that got cut out and we had to fill in the gaps for on our own yeah, yeah. Uh, mine, I, I briefed on it, but um, th- that final, before the rooftop scene, the whole chase around the, the, the apartment, uh, the editing, uh, I don't really like the editing there. Um, it, it's a bit weird, um, and you're not really sure where every character is or what are they doing. He's climbing the walls, the other one is coming out of the, <laughs> out of the walls. Um, it, it's a weird scene, um, but if it leads us to that wonderful rooftop scene, I mean, I'm okay with it. So that's, that's just my main, my uh, grumble. Okay. Um, Ethan is going to says, uh, I guess pretty clear how much I love this film. I think it's genius. Wonderful. And it's fantastic performances across the board. So I'm giving this nine fake snakes out of 10, nine <laughs> fake snakes out of 10 artificial, not fake artificial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where are you going, Carlo? Well, if if you've been listening so far, you pretty much know that I love this film. So uh, I, I really like it. Uh, ever since I saw it, I don't know how many years ago, uh, the film has stuck with me. Uh, and I think it's the kind of film that you can always peel something away from uh, when you rewatch it. It works on many levels, from being a solid sci-fi, crime, noir film, uh, to a film with a more deeper existential and religious subtext uh i love the question it raises about what defines our existence what defines our status as human beings um by contrasting these two characters deckard and 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 roy uh so i i really like it um i I mentioned the cinematography i mentioned rutger howard's performance how much i i I enjoy it uh so i'm gonna give this nine unicorn origamis Nine unicorn origamis. I haven't thought about mine yet, which is usually what happens when I get to my (laughs) point here. Um, 
This is a difficult one in the sense that it's got a legacy. It's got a legacy for a reason. It's There's some excellent elements of this film. There's also whole portions of it where I'm like, you, we, we need like, uh, like, do you remember pop-up video, Carlo? Do you remember <laughs> yeah. that being a thing? I need, yeah. I need pop-up Blade Runner where it's like, <laughs> that's the thing that he said earlier. Or, oh, look at the set design here. You'll notice that, 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 that. Um, or even just some dialogue to help get some information across to the audience. That would be a much more easy way to do it. And it seems for a film that I applauded very early on in this review for the way that it got t- took care of necessary exposition in a way that felt organic, it felt really strange they then chose to do, like, so little dialogue moving forward. And any time they did have characters talk to each other, we generally went, this is really good. Cue the scene in uh, Terrell's bedroom. Cue the scene on the rooftop. When characters would talk to each other, it was generally good, good times. Um, it's just a shame that so much of this movie is just characters staring at things and create. And as a result, you know, I get that the first cut must have been four hours, but in trimming it down to you know one hour and forty five, what what elements did you lose that we had to play catch up on? I think I think there are some. Um, so I'm going to go with eight rain soaked coats for jumping out of 10 <laughs> okay uh it's, it's weird i might rethink that and go up with i, I don't know but uh, i'm just gonna, I, I don't think it's a there's just some fundamental elements with story that get in the way and the visuals aren't enough i've just never been a visual uh it always has to have that backup it's why i don't like the films of denny's villeneuve for the most part he makes beautiful films with no story so um it depends if that's what you want or what you don't want and so i'm probably being a little bit unfair i love prisoners for the record which is a denise villeneuve film i believe so it's my favorite oh, okay like that's a great film because there's so much story and character in that um yeah. and like, hey imagine that character is going through changes that's a great idea um but i mean this is better than that obviously um and it opens some really interesting conversations I just wonder if all the tinkering, I, I said it before, I think I like, and of course, I'm trying to review Blade Runner regardless of what cut you watch. We watch yeah, the final yeah. cut, but I think it can apply to most of them. I will say that I think I prefer the theatrical cut, at least the elements that I saw that I think provide greater closure. I'm not a fan of the voiceovers, so I need immediate, I, I, Ridley, authorize someone to go open it up again. We need we need another version of it. Come on, let's trim it up. Um <laughs> Let's talk about the Patreon. When you put it all in the wash, Patreon comes out to an average of 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10. I believe I can name these ones individually. I believe it was a 9 from uh, Hermes, a 5 from Reverend Bruce, a 6 from Juline, and an 8 from Dwayne Smith, which actually means that none of you got your mark because it averages out to a 7. So there we uh, go. So when we put it in the wash, a very strong, a very strong uh, film in the rankings. It'll definitely be in the top fifth, probably, of films we'll do this year. Um, maybe even higher than that, but yeah, a... Uh, one that I think was important to watch, and it's, I'm a little bit bummed that Liam didn't get his say. He'd have been high, and I'm a little bummed that George didn't get the experience of watching yeah, it, but yeah. I do appreciate the idea that life does, as someone said. I think it might have been um, Russell the Posty. Life sometimes does get in the way, and that's okay. Um, if you made it this far, whoops. Uh, if you haven't watched it, you just heard the whole plot, so I, I don't know where, where to go with that. Um, is this a film that requires you to be surprised by the plot? Maybe. 
Maybe. I don't know. I always thought think of our episodes as companion pieces, though, more than uh, more than things you I really would hope you wouldn't listen to these if you hadn't seen the film. But, yeah, no, definitely. But, but that's me. <laughs> so it means our download numbers will be lower than it would be if I put Marvel number 99 on here. <laughs> and I'm OK with that. I'm OK with that. Because next week, <laughs> let's do that. Next week, we're going to Marvel number 99. Next week, we're doing Thor Ragnarok. So, you know, we can have our, we can, pizza's great. Pizza's great, but you don't want to have pizza every day. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't. So this week, we had something a bit more substantial. Hey, you're doing one of the best ones. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a good one. I, I love Thor. I love Thor as a character. He's my favorite Avenger. So we had a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I think that's probably a good a, a good metaphor for for or a good statement for for the review for next week. It's 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 a lot of fun. Yeah, look forward to it. <laughs> yeah. So I'll tell you what, though, I looked forward and was very uh, very thankful to Carlo from the Movie Loop for coming and helping me out of a bind this week. Thank you so much. So I wasn't sitting here reviewing the film, but I've never done one by myself. I really hope I don't have to. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Would be nowhere near the length we've gone for here. I would just r- rattle it off in about I don't know probably uh, 40% of the time, but it wouldn't be nearly as fun. So thank you for joining us here today. No, thank you for, for calling me and, and putting out the, the bad signal. <laughs> and I, I was, when you, when you hit me up, I was more than pleased to, to help you. Even so, when, when, when I heard the film, it, it was all, I'm so up for that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. And if you haven't uh, already given it, get that subscribe button and go ahead and check out the movie loot, the movie loot on um, wherever you caught this podcatcher uh, sort of this podcast or a podcatcher used for that. Go ahead and type that in. It's more than worth your time. Um, yeah. So um, also, though, massive thanks to our Patreon backers. They would be Reverend Bruce, Julene, Hermes, Dwayne Smith, Katie McRae, Ian Davies, Lena Oberholzer, Chris Peterson, Randall Silva, the Yeetmeister, Nate the Great and Cheesy. With a fish on a bike. With a fish on a bike, indeed. So this is using the part where I'd cue Georgia. We've talked about next week. We don't have to do that. So please join us next week as we go back in time to go ahead in time for an episode we've already recorded to talk about is Asgard a place? Is Asgard a people? Or is that film going to just bob and weave between which one of the two it wants it to be in <laughs> Thor Ragnarok? Thor Best film ever. I've been Ian. I've been Carlo. And one more time, a massive thanks to Carlo for joining us. If you're out there and you didn't like what we said, don't take any of it too seriously. Soon all these words will be lost in time, like tears in rain. We'll catch you on the flippity flap. The flippity flip flop. <laughs> <laughs>